If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hey, everybody. Today, Rado talks through episode 51 of the podcast, which is going to be all about Gen Con 2019. I am going to spend the next, I don't know, probably a couple of hours or so talking about all of the games that if I were there at Indianapolis, I would knock you out of my way to ensure that I got my hands on. And uh, unfortunately, I will not be there, so I will have to live vicariously through you. So if you are in a plane, a train, or an automobile on your way to the show right now, well... This is what I would have my eye on. Eyes on the prize, everybody. What are the games? Well, first of all, I'll talk about the top 10 must-haves. Then I'll talk about a whole bunch more maybe-haves. And uh, we'll wrap it up with some expansion talk as well. And uh, yeah, that means we will not be doing the regular top 10 revisits or games of interest or even most sadly, the questions and answers. And Jen will not be here either. But next month, we will return to our regularly scheduled programming. So uh, as always, folks, if you have any questions, send them to questions at rotto.com and Jen and I will do our best to uh, pontificate at great length about whatever it is you need to know. But enough of all that. Are you ready, folks? Well, hang on, and we'll be right back with the top 10. Okay, everybody, welcome back, and it's time for that top 10. Now, as always, year after year, I am taking this list from Eric W. Martin's wonderful uh, work that he has put into the Board Game Geek Gen Con preview. There's going to be a link for that down in the show notes if you want to go check it out yourself. Such an incredibly valuable tool tool that the people of Board Game Geek give us every year. I do have to say, this year, Eric was a little odd with quite a few of the titles he put on there because there are several games that have been on the market for like six, even nine months. They've been uh, readily available, but he has decided to say, hey, uh, they're being included in this list. So because of that, while I'm going to talk about the my top 10, really, there would be a top 13 if I was going to include Wingspan, Crown of Amara, or Underwater Cities. But since these games have been available for so long, I don't really feel like they deserve to be in this list. This is going to be a list of the games that right now, as of today, you can't get uh, at least in any uh, readily available way outside of the show. So, like I said, if these are the ones that I was there to get, nothing would stop me. And uh, I already have Crown of Amara, Wingspan, and Underwater Sea, so I just didn't make sense to put those on the list. I'll talk about you know stuff like that when I get to the extended portion of this, because right now, we're just here to talk about the 10, right? Oh, why do I keep dragging it out? Okay, enough, enough, enough. Let's get going with my number 10, Machi Koro Legacy. Now, this is really interesting to me, because Machi Koro... When it came out a few years ago, it really blew up. I mean, it it got so much praise and hype. Everybody was super excited about it. But I'll be honest, my wife and I, we did not get the excitement for this game. We thought it was at 
best, okay? I mean, really, not even that. I mean, a total, just completely drowning and needless and uh, kind of meaningless take that. You know, just kind of like the weakest of tit for tat. Oh, I took your stuff. Oh, you take your stuff back. Wee, isn't it? No. Or sorry. Um, but then, you know, aside from that, I mean, I don't know, the game just felt kind of half-baked. Now, don't get me wrong. Machi Koro, the core of it, was such a brilliant design idea. And the interesting thing is, ever since Machi Koro came out, other developers have kind of stood on its shoulders and really kind of perfected the formula, which is why I am stoked for Machi Koro Legacy. Don't know much about it. Don't really know if it fixes the problems that Jen and I had with the original, but we love Legacy games, and I am hoping the developers actually took time and paid attention and learned from games like Space Base or um, Valeria Card Kingdoms or whatnot to improve upon their initial wonderful idea. One thing that is very cool, I know, is the fact that, once again, the game will be chock-a-block with take that, uh, you know, attacking stealing cards, but apparently, from what I've read, those don't have to become part of your experience. Because this is a legacy game, as you play through game after game after game, new stuff will get added, like attack cards, but it's up to the players to decide if they actually become a permanent fixture in the legacy you're building. That's a very cool idea. I love the idea of that. I, you know, and one thing that is definitely well known is after Machi Koro Legacy is over, you will have a standalone version of Machi Koro, and maybe you will be able to design a better end game through your choices than the original Machi Koro um, delivered. And you know, apologies for any Machi Koro fans out there. I'm sure there's a lot of folks who still love it to pieces, but yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping with Machi Koro Legacy, we'll be able to love it as much as you. So that's my number 10. Number 9 is uh, the Deckscape series. I have said repeatedly, and I will continue to loudly trumpet from the mountaintop, that the Deckscape series is, for Jens and my money, the best escape room in a home experience you can get. Now, I've played a lot of them. Not all of them, but I've played a bunch. And Deckscape repeatedly is the one we look forward to the most. Uh, because, well, two reasons. One, Deckscape doesn't make us feel like idiots. Um, and now, for some uh, uh, you know, escape room aficionados, that's code for, yeah, Deckscape is for children or for total rank novices. Well, you know what? Uh, if that's what I am, that's what I am. But I know Deckscape provides just enough challenge for us to be engaged, you know, not tuning out. But um, we never really get slowed down. We never really feel like the game is unfair in its uh, obtuseness. And the other thing that I love about Deckscape, and by the way, I should say, three new Deckscapes are coming out at the show. Uh, Eldorado, which has been widely available, so I don't know why that one got listed, but apparently it's coming out again. Um, see what I said earlier about stuff that shouldn't be on the list. But anyway, uh, but uh, behind the curtain and uh, Sphinx, something Sphinx, the, all three of these are going to be there. I played Eldorado. We loved it. I'm excited for Curtain and Sphinx because of the other thing Deckscape does so well, so much better than any other system I've seen, which is it thematically works those puzzles into the actual story of where you are and what you're doing. Things just make more sense. Yes, it is still, at the end of the day, a collection of cobbled together puzzles that you have to solve in a relatively linear series to get to the end and see what your final score is, uh, with a loosely layered on top theme of, well, whatever it is you're trying to do. But I gotta say, Deckscape does it better than anybody else. All the puzzles, because of the core fundamental system of how Deckscape works to resolve puzzles, all those puzzles in all the ones I've played so far just 
fit like a glove and they um, they don't feel odd and goofy and out of place for the most part and that's what really makes Deckscape stand out from your unlocks and your uh, exits and your you know, all the other ones that are out there which is why I'd be super excited for the new ones uh, that will be at uh, Gen Con the Deckscape series then on to number 8 on tour. Now, I did a run-through for this last year when it was on Kickstarter. Actually, I did a live run-through. And if you would like to know right now whether you would be as excited about On Tour as Jen and I are, you can go check out my original run-through because On Tour is one of those roll-and-write bingo-style games where every round dice are going to be rolled and then everybody uses it in their those dice results in their own way to pursue their own agenda. Now, in this game, we are trying to plan a uh, cross-country tour for a rock and roll band. And uh, the dice indicate what cities we can stop at. And, oh my gosh, this game is just so good. The tension just ratchets up so beautifully over the course of the game. And you have no idea how well you're doing until the final die is rolled. And then we evaluate, right, who had the best tour for their band overall? Like I said, don't take my word for it. Go watch my run-through um, and get a printer because you can print out a copy of the sheet of paper and play along and see if you can beat me and Jen. And if you do, I think you'll find out why we are so excited for the final product on tour. Okay, then number seven is Pandemic Rapid Response. Now, this is an odd one, too. Like some of the ones I mentioned before, this has actually been available for, for several weeks, if not months. I'm not quite sure how long it's been out. But here's the weird thing. Up until now, Pandemic Rapid Response has been a Target exclusive. You could only buy it at Targets. And now, for the first time, we can get it somewhere other than your local super mega store, if there happens to be one in your area. That's great. Uh, Pandemic Rapid Response is a wonderful real-time cooperative game from designer Kane Klenko set in the Pandemic universe. It works really wonderfully. Uh, like his other real-time dice games before it, Fuse and Flatline, this is another knocks it out of the park from Kane. We enjoy it a lot. And uh, I mean, you know, if uh, you haven't picked it up because you don't have targets in your life, now is your chance at Gen Con. My number seven, Pandemic Rapid Response. Then, number six. Another game I covered last year when it was on Kickstarter. Sabotage. Oh, this is so, so cool. This game just offers so much. Its setting is basically a megalomaniacal... Uh, you know, supervillain is on an island and super spies are going to sneak in and stop all his plans. Now, uh, the gameplay is very spy versus spy. Uh, there's several different ways you can play. You can play team versus team, one versus one, or you can play cooperative. And um, usually, in most cases, some players will play the guards who all have special powers moving around trying to keep an eye out for the infiltrating spies, which represented by the other team of players who move around hidden movement style. Now, everybody, uh, no matter what side you're playing, has uh, really cool ways to um, you know, search and interact with the world and try to second-guess where everybody else is. It's a very, very satisfying game. Tons of leveling up opportunities throughout. And it's just brilliant. It works so well. Uh, I've only played as a two-player game, but Jen and I enjoyed it as a battle of wits, where one player is trying to catch the other, which is not something we normally care for. But even more so, uh, the game has a companion app you can use that turns it into 
into a fully cooperative game where the players are the spies and the app represents the guards trying to find us. And that is awesome. We loved that. Um, you know, a, a hidden movement game where finally Jen and I, who were Care Bears, we don't want to seek each other out and destroy each other and stop each other's plans, so we get to work together and both sneak around and create distractions and all of that while an AI searches for us. Um, it's a blast. Really, really sharp stuff. I cannot recommend it highly enough, which is why it's number six, Sabotage. Then number five is Space Explorers. Which I'm surprised this isn't available yet. I guess it got a very, very limited release at Origins, and it's still not really available yet, and won't be. Um, so I definitely strongly recommend you seek it out, because I've said it before and I'll say it again. As far as I'm concerned, for our tastes, this is a Splendor Killer. Which, why would anybody want to kill a game from all those years ago? Yes, uh, Splendor, folks, is still a game that needs to be killed. It's still hugely popular, with good reason. I don't mean to disparage Splendor. It's a very, very nice, lovely, uh, abstract gateway game. But Space Explorers, which is a, uh, a card game... Where players are trying to build up their space agencies, you know, in the in the fifties and sixties to, uh, you know, complete as many missions as possible, does everything Splendor does and so much more. It is a brilliant, compelling engine building game with tons of theme, uh, cool player special powers, great presentation. Everything about it is off the charts. I even though it's been available in Russia for quite a while, it's only now getting wider distribution in all the major markets of the world, and I hope uh, it can all ultimately go on to enjoy as much success as Splendor did, and subsequently as uh, Century Spice Road did, because um, you know, in terms of raw, brilliant gameplay, evocative thematic elements, and yet tight little package of you know, simple card game with resource management, engine building, Space Explorers has it all. I am so over the moon with it. So that's number five, Space Explorers. Then there is number four, Sierra West, which is the latest game from up-and-coming design superstar, I believe, Johnny Pack. This guy is one to watch for because his previous game, Coloma, was amazeballs. You can go watch my run-through for it and uh, when it was on Kickstarter. And now he brings us Sierra West, which is a very, very clever Euro set in the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the American frontier as players are trying to you know, make their fortunes in the Sierra Nevada range. And it's an action programming game where each one of the cards you have in your hand every turn has multiple different actions you can use it for. And the way you stack these cards together to plan out what your um, Frontiersman's turn is going to look like is such a brilliant, wonderful puzzle that just uh, just keeps on giving and keeps on growing uh, You know, throughout the course of the game. It's just wonderful. And then on top of that, the game comes with four different modes you can play in. So you have tons of replayability. Whether you're trying to become you know, uh, pioneering farmers or gold miners or uh, bounty hunters or whatever it might be, I I'm super duper impressed by this. Uh, if you want to know more, go check out my run-through. I did get an early copy and I'm so happy for it. That is number four, Sierra West. Then, number three. Uh, another game I covered when it was on Kickstarter. And oh my gosh, uh, we played this one a lot. Because uh, Aeon's End, The New Age is maybe the best that Aeon's End has been to date. And that is saying something, because Aeon's End, every step of the way, has been an amazing fantasy cooperative deck builder. One of the best on the market, if not the best. 
No, not the best, because I still have to give that nod to Shadowrun Crossfire, but Aeon's End is right up there. You know, right up there, you know, in, in top 50 games of all time ca category for me and Jen. And the reason we are so excited about the New Age, which is basically the latest standalone expansion. Uh, you, it functions as an expansion if you have previous Aeon's End content, or you could just buy this, and this could be your very, very first introduction to Aeon's End if you want, because it stands alone. And the thing that I love about it, in addition to like any deck builder expansion, giving us lots of new cards and new ways to work the system and all that as we try to fight all the big, scary, impossible to beat nemeses. The thing I really love is it has this system for players to uh, have auto-generated campaign gameplay. Campaign gameplay has become such a big thing. You're seeing it in more and more games all the time. But generally, campaigns are designed to, hey, once you finish the campaign, that's it. And maybe you could go play it again and there'd be, oh, I'll choose to go left instead of right. But it's mostly the same experience. And really, the only difference is going to be, oh, I'll take different characters through the same campaign. Not New Age. New Age flips that on script by having randomly generated campaigns, and it works so well. That's why Jen and I played it so much, so we could actually play through a few campaigns to get a full sense of it when I did my video for it earlier. Over the moon with this stuff. Uh, the only reason I would suggest not getting Aeons in New Age is if you are new to Aeons in. I do think it's a great introduction, but it kind of has story spoilers for what has come before. So, if you're really new to Aeon's End, you might want to check out Aeon's End Legacy, which I'm sure will be for sale there as well. Um, but And then after you finish Legacy, and that really introduces the story and the characters in the world, then play New Age, because not only uh, does it add lots of new content, this great campaign system, but it takes the story universe of Aeon's End to an entirely new place. Really flips the script on everything. Uh, it is a New Age, after all, and I absolutely love it to tears. Number three, Aeon's End, the New Age. Then, number two, which is something that probably most people would have assumed would be number one, and actually, uh, up until just a few minutes ago, but right before I started filming this, I just shifted things around and moved it to number two. What is it? Black Angel. Oh my gosh, folks. This is... I suspect this is probably going to be game of the year for me. I've been, I'm always paying attention to what's on the horizon, what uh, is about to be announced. You know, I often have inside information about new things that are coming from publishers. I don't know of anything else coming in 2019 that could potentially eclipse this game as making ultimately my my number one slot of the year. I've played it several times now because I did get an early uh, advanced copy. Unfortunately, I've only played it solo, so I haven't played it with Jen yet. That's really the last thing I need to do to cement just how really good it is because right now I'm mostly evaluating it as a solo experience. But this game where we are AIs trying to maintain a space frigate uh, tasked with the um, re with the population of a new planet on the other side of the galaxy, which is the only hope for humanity, because humanity has been wiped out back on Earth. It's a great setting. The gameplay is amazing. It's basically got three full Euro games all uh, cobbled into one. This awesome world traversal thing, this awesome AI reprogramming game, and then, at its heart, the dice worker placement, very reminiscent of another game in my top ten, my, my top, my number five game of all time, Twa. This is basically the era apparent to Twa. From the same designers, from the same publisher, they've been working on this thing for years now. And it so stands on the shoulders of what Twa did and does so many new amazing things. It's amazing. It's my number two. Um, and if you want to know more, I mean, heck, probably by now you've already seen my run through for it. But anyway, number two, Black Angel. Must, must have. I, this thing's going to sell out like it's going to be one of the hottest games of the show. Guaranteed. But it's not my number one. 
And here's uh, what bumps it uh, off the list, or you know what bumped it into number two. Uh, my number one must-get game of the show for a strong reason is Edge of Darkness. And now here's why I say this. Everything I'm talking about here, everything I'm going to talk about for the remainder of the podcast is 100% reliant on uh, Eric Martin's data input that he has done for the Board Game Geek Preview, like I already said up front. And Eric does a great job. If anything, he's a little bit too um, over-eager to list games. Like I said, why would uh, Wingspan or or Underwater Cities warrant this? Hey, it's the launch of Wingspan. It came out back in January, folks. Why is it on the list? Whatever, it's on the list. But Eric missed a huge thing. Edge of Darkness on the Board Game Geek Preview is only listed as for demo, but it will be for sale there. And this is a game that was uh, on Kickstarter last year. I had a very successful Kickstarter. It's already showing up. I've got my uh, Kickstarter copy of it. And if you missed out on the Kickstarter, folks, and you have any interest at all in a very, very cool fantasy deck building or deck or card construction game using the same system as uh, Mystic Veil, but doing so many cool, amazing things, the threat tower, uh, the production, everything about this game is phenomenal. Here's the thing. It is not guaranteed that this game will ever be available for sale in any kind of retail outlet. The publisher, AEG, has already said they don't know how to make this thing and turn a profit on it. That it would be a loss leader because of the sky-high production costs and you know the amazing quality of this game. So, they've said right now, hey, folks who backed it on Kickstarter, we hope you enjoy it. We're going to have a few copies of it at Gen Con, and in fact, if you want to get it, go to their website right now and pre-order. It looks like, the reason I mention this, probably for the foreseeable future, Edge of Darkness is only going to be able to be gotten directly from the publisher. So, if you are at Gen Con and you miss out on this, this might be one of those games that come the end of the year, um, you know, you say, oh, I can't get this at all anywhere without having to spend 500 bucks or something crazy like that because it's impossible to get your hands on. So that's why it makes. Even though, I mean, I've played both of these games quite a bit and I would, um, you know, if it weren't for the f- potential future scarcity of this game, it probably... It probably would have been maybe around um, you know five or you know four five or six number four five or six or something like that. Still ranking really high, but not high enough for number one. But because this might be your only shot, if you're going to be in Gen Con, if you're going to be an indie, you might not get another chance at this for quite a while. And if you're at all interested in it, go check out my run through to learn more. That's why I put Edge of Darkness in the number one spot. If you do want to pre-order, by the way, I've, I've put links for it down in the show note where you have to go. Uh, this is in no way, shape, or form an advertisement, though. Uh, AEG has not given me any money to say this. I'm only letting you know because if nobody told me and then I found out six months from now, yeah, it's impossible to get this amazing game, I'd be pissed! So, um, I'm just spreading the word. And that's it, folks. My top ten must-get games of the show. But like I said right up front, we are not done yet. If you hold on, we will be right back, and I will talk about so many games. Oh, so, so, so many games. So hang on, everybody. Um, We'll be right back. Okie dokie, everybody. We've got those top 10 out of the way, and now we are going to continue on with another 65 titles, it looks like, all of which should be available for sale at the show. Now, 
65 is a lot, and I'll be honest, I'm not going to spend the time ranking all of those from number 65 to number 11. So what I've done is I have sorted this list on the Board Game Geek preview by number of thumbs. So this is still going to be a countdown, but it is really not based on my own personal preferences, but rather how much excitement and enthusiasm there is amongst the board game populace. Now, Maybe that's of some use because you'll know that, oh, if there's a lot of people who thumbed it, it might be harder to get. It might sell out quicker. And if it's something at the beginning of this list, well, there must not be that much enthusiasm for it. No one's heard about it yet. I could save that for my last day at the show. If, in fact, you're using this podcast as a shopping guide. I have no idea. I don't even know why you're here, folks. But um, I am going to start counting them down now. Although, it is always important to remember, just on the off chance people don't realize this, please bear in mind, I am making this list based on my own subjective opinions and preferences, which is why any game that doesn't support two players and support it well immediately got eliminated. I don't like take that in games. There's a whole bunch of wonderful games that are going to be at the show, and you won't hear about them from me. So, I just wanted to make that clear. But with that out of the way, let's get going. 65 games. How can I even remember all of these things? Well, let's start with, are you a robot? And I don't really know that this is going to be particularly good at all, but it costs $2 from Looney Labs. Apparently, this is uh, some little game that's for two or three players, and uh, it can be played in under two minutes. People just standing in line. One player is a robot, the other players aren't, or maybe it's the other way around. It's a micro-social deduction game for two or three players, trying to figure out who's human, who's a robot, you know, kind of borrowed from the old uh, Blade Runner style thing, I believe. I don't know, but how can you go wrong? It's $2. I mean, you gotta give it a try, right? But <clears throat> next up, uh, oh, by the way, that only had four thumbs. I hope it does okay. But next up at 10 thumbs, we have Truck Off. Get it? Truck Off. A food truck frenzy roll and write. And now this is on my list, mostly because it's a roll and write. And I love roll and writes. I'm not ashamed to say it. And uh, if you can come up with something new and interesting, I'll be there. This is a roll and write that tries to stand out uh, in large part because it has D4s, D6s, D8s, D10s, D12s, and D20s. So it's not the first game to do that, but I do think that's very, very cool trying to decide which uh, probability die are you going to go for. But the other thing it talks about too is as you are trying to uh, heat up the food truck world, apparently, Currently. It talks about, what was it? It's something about mini games. What did it say? Oh, your goal is to claim rewards, money, and extra dice by, comp- by completing the mini games associated with each venue and its corresponding die. So I assume that means if you go for Asian cuisine, those use D8s, and it has a mini game associated with it. Now, what does that mean? I don't know from this description, but my guess is maybe something along the lines of Gone Shown Clever, where there were different sections on your sheet that you fill out in different ways. That's my bet. And Gone Shown Clever was very, very cool to do that, and I just didn't care for it because it was abstract. Truck Off is not abstract, so it's a shame it only has 10 uh, thumbs, but it looks interesting to me. Then another game with 10 thumbs, Tricky Druids. And I'll be honest, 
Gosh, is there a more tired theme in modern Euro design than brewing potions? Hey, everybody, let's make some magical potions by combining reagents and turn them into victory points. Ugh. I have to admit, I have zero interest in that. And so I was inclined just to completely pass this by, except they had one little mention, and they really should play this up, one little mention in the description that talks about how each round you... The ingredients you've got, some of them you offer as gifts to other players. And then they can choose to take them or decline the gift. And if they decline the gift, then that's when I guess you get to use them. And uh, so you have this kind of, well, kind of like a a human-driven push-your-luck thing of, oh, I really want to use this, but i got to give a gift to you, and so I hope you don't take it so I can get it back. That's intriguing. That's very intriguing. A similar thing to that worked really, really well in uh, uh, Bonanza the Duel. And I'm not saying this is going to be anywhere near as good as that awesome Uwe Rosenberg game, but I'm intrigued by the idea of gift-giving in Tricky Druids. Although apparently nobody else is because it only has 10 thumbs. Then up to 12 thumbs, we've got Deadly Doodles. (laughs) And, um... I'm really intrigued by this because it's another... Oh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, A roll and write game, but it's not really. It's less the rolling and more focusing on the writing, where uh, everybody draws a card, and that represents a dungeon, and everybody in real time, I think, has to write the ideal path through that dungeon to uh, pick up loot, fight monsters, and uh, that's a really cool idea. It's not the only game on this list that uses that mechanism, but... From looking at the screenshots, Deadly Doodles might be something special. Uh, don't trust me, though, because nobody else seems to think so with only 12 uh, thumbs. Maybe that's because it's from Steve Jackson Games, but I'm not going to hold that against it. It could be an awesome little title, Deadly Doodles. Then we've got Rail Pass with 14 thumbs, and now I know the thumbs are bogus because this game is awesome, folks. Jen and I, we got to play it at Board Game Geek Spring last year. Uh, it was a three-player game, if I recall correctly. Maybe it was four-player? No, I think it was a three-player, and it's a blast. A real-time cooperative pick up and deliver game, uh, literally, because in this game you've got a bunch of cubes in front of you that you know have to get to cities that are in front of other players, and so I have to load up these awesome little train miniatures, the uh, you know the, the kind of the, the flatbeds of them, with the cubes, and then hand them to the player to my left or right, uh, ultimately with the goal of getting them to other cities. But the trains can only travel so far away from me, and so you know I might hand uh, you a train of some cubes, some of them I'm trying to give to you, some of them I'm trying to give to the next player, and so I'm hoping you'll be smart at the time we have to offload the stuff and then put it on a different train to send to the next player. It's really clever. And while I haven't actually had a chance to play it two-player, it looks like it'll work really well that way, too, with each player having to be responsible for six different cities. So you're trying to get stuff into my cities, I'm trying to get stuff into your cities. This is a very cool little game. And it's not just me. Uh, Scott Alden, Aldi of Board Game Geek, he originally recognized this and recommended it to the publisher, uh, Mercury Games, because he thought it was so good. And Mercury agreed, and so they picked it up. It's getting its debut at Gen Con. And I'm telling you, folks, Rail Pass is very, very good. If you like real-time cooperative... It's almost dexterity, but not quite, but very, very sharp. Rail Pass. Then another one with 14 thumbs, the Queen of Hansa. And I don't know anything about this. It looks like a Euro set uh, in the late Middle Ages when Northern Europe is dominated by the uh, Hanseatic League. And 
I, there, there's nothing here in the description. There's only one reason I'm interested in this. The artist is Clemens Franz. And I, if you watch my show, you know he made my top 10 artist list because every time I see his art, I want to play that game. But what's really intriguing about this is this is not Clemens working with Lookout Games or other European uh, Euro... European board game publishers? This is out of Hobby Japan. And a Japanese board game publisher sought out Clemens Franz. And that's intriguing to me. I, I mean, one thing, I know Clemens is a gamer. And so I you know, the fact that he has been willing to put his art in a game, I suspect means he himself has kind of tacitly signed off on the gameplay. But I'm just really intrigued by this. I, I don't know. Maybe completely immaterial that it comes from a Japanese publisher. Um, but I've often found that Asian-designed games have a different feel, have a different flow, focus on different things than Western-designed games. And so having a very well-known Western artist uh, working with uh, you know Eastern developers, that's intriguing to me, which is why the Queen of Hansa made my uh, interested-to-check-out list, even though nobody else cares, because we're still only at 14 thumbs. So sad. <clears throat> then we've got Ship Shape. I'm surprised this one's so low at 17 thumbs uh, because it's from Rob Davio, Mr. Legacy. Oh, I mean, you know, he's an incredibly well-respected designer, and um, and I'm interested in this. It's a, uh, it's, um, I don't know. I, I think it's pirates trying to split up the loot or, or something like that. But it's an auction game, and I'll be honest. If anything, Rob actually would. M- maybe have me tend to kind of tune out and say no to it. Because in my experience, Rob Davio's focus on two-player gaming has never been really where he puts all his passion. And so I'm always a little bit nervous because this is supposedly works, what, from two to six players. And you got to assume, oh, well, then it focuses on the higher player counts. I recently discovered, though, that for the two-player variant, this introduces a dummy player, an, an automa. Uh, to decide how the third player bids, and now I'm interested because I love two-player dummy rules that emulate a third player and give Jen and me the opportunity to you know, to have a a bigger player count feel while it's just the two of us. So now I'm intrigued. How did he do it? Because uh, there's other games that have done it really well. Homesteaders did a brilliant um, you know uh, dummy player for bidding, as did. Uh, Fleet, another great example. So, will Ship Shape live up to it? I don't know. But I'm interested to find out, and that's why it's uh, on the list with only 17 thumbs. Um, And then, Battle of the Bards with 22 thumbs. I know this is a good game because I have played it. And my only complaint is the, the prototype I had did have a not insignificant number of stealing cards that were part of the overall experience. But in spite of that, Jen and I really enjoyed it. And that's saying something. It's a basically uh, traveling troubadour um, battle of the bands game where you are deck building and dice worker placement activation. Those two things combined. And what's really special about the game, what I remember most about it from playing the prototype was, it has this very interesting ebb and flow where you'll spend a few turns kind of building up, building up, building up for a big crescendo in your musical performance. And what does that mean? That means a a turn where you're rolling eight 
10, 12 dice all at once. A big, huge thing. And you imagine that's like the big finale of a song. And you roll all these dice and you start assigning them to all your musicians, which are the cards that you're deck building with. And it's very, very satisfying as you try to please different audiences that want to see different types of performances. Neat, fun stuff. Great art. Uh, very charming, quirky gameplay and presentation. Battle of the Bards, uh, which will be for sale now. Congratulations uh, that they I must they must succeed on the Kickstarter, I guess. Okay, after that, twenty four thumbs for Boomerang. Oh come on! I guess I don't have much impact on the board game industry because I did a run through for Boomerang. Was it last year? And um, I guess it's. You know, it's been out for quite a while. Maybe it was only out in Australia where it was originally published, and now it's going wider. But this is a very, very cool. I want to say roll and write, except it's not. Uh, it has the right part, but instead of rolling dice or drawing cards, it has card drafting a la Seven Wonders or Sushi Go. And so you're drafting cards to uh, be the seed that you use to fill out your sheets. And uh, the game itself is all about uh, you know trying to arrange the best tour of Australia. It, this is cool on so many lever, levels. From designer Scott Alms, Jen and I really enjoyed this one quite a bit. And so it's good to see that it's coming to a wider audience. All right, Boomerang. Then, another one I've played before. With 26 thumbs, we've got Dreams of Tomorrow. And this is an interesting game. It's a Rondell game. Rondells are one of my favorite board game mechanisms of all time. And the interesting thing about this is the Rondell in this game is con- it's super simple. It's just full of, hey, move to this space to collect some resources, move to this space to convert those resources into a card that you can draft that'll give you a power. Really simple stuff. But the rondelle is constantly changing, is constantly chaotically shifting uh, as a, you know wedges of it or you know branches of it shift around, flip upside down, all kinds of stuff, either because of random events and also because players can constantly be re, re- reprogramming this rondelle. Uh, both players are on the same rondelle, so I might change it so that I can move to the space I want to, and all of a sudden that gives you opportunity to go where you want to go, which you didn't think you could do. Or suddenly where you thought you were going to go, you can't go. It's really clever, a fast, simple, fun little card game, and uh, it was sharp. Uh, but don't take my word for it. Uh, go check out my video to see more of Dreams of Tomorrow. Then, uh, one I have not played, uh, with 27 thumbs, we've got Nocturian. And I'll be honest, I can understand why this doesn't have very many thumbs, because <clears throat> the description here could not be more generic. It's a worker placement game set in a fantasy universe, where um, uh, you're fulfilling quests uh, and finding legendary heirlooms and gathering resources to forge armies of uh, beasts with variable asymmetric powers. That doesn't really tell you anything. The most important thing in there, though, is dice worker placement, which is an excellent way to do worker placement. I mean, I don't know. I, I think these days we've kind of forgotten about dice worker placement with the big explosion of polyomino games and roll and write games. You know, a few years ago, dice worker placement was really hot, hot, hot. And now it's kind of fallen out of favor. But when I went and looked at the video of this uh, that uh, is, you can see on Board Game Geek, I didn't do it. Uh, Board Game Geek didn't do it. Somebody else did. I thought the worker placement here looked really, really sharp. 
Uh, enough to make me interested in trying it. That maybe it'll kind of harken back to you know Kingsburg and uh, Alien Frontiers and whatnot. It looks like it could be a really sharp game. I'm I'm really intrigued to try it. You know, with all that dice mitigation and change and stuff to be able to go and oh, I can't go to the space I want to go to because that action can only take ones or sixes, and I only got you know whatever. It looks like it could be good. I'm intrigued by Nocturian. Although, like I said, the developers did themselves no favors. They made it sound very generic. And then, uh, we move up to 29 thumbs for Undo. I believe there are actually three Undo games that will be available. I just made a note of Curse of the Past. And... Apparently, this is a bit of a Marmite game. People are either loving it or hating it because it has been available and limited. I mean, I think some other reviewers have gotten early copies of it. Uh, The publisher hasn't sent me any, but eh, say la vie. I'll I'll move on. Uh, Originally, everybody assumed it was going to be Time stories crossed with an escape room. Lots of puzzles and trying to you know jump back and and re, re you know rewind time and do loops and stuff like that. Anybody who thought that would then play the game and be horribly disappointed because it turns out it's not really a game at all. It's basically a choose-your-own-adventure. Where, you know how when you play a choose-your-own-adventure or you read a choose-your-own-adventure book, you're constantly keeping your fingers in multiple places so you can kind of go back in time and try other stuff? This is just a choose-your-own-adventure game that's driven by cards that, um, you know, uh, basically solidifies that notion of, oh, I'm just going to go back in time and retry other things. And so if you like Choose Your Own Adventures and you like the idea of being able to share that with other players, and you like the idea of basically going in time loops and trying different things, oh, well, that didn't work. Let's try going through the other door or what have you. That's what undo is. Uh Because you can use time to undo your choices. And yeah, I like Choose Your Own Adventure. Jen and I like... Uh, you know, narrative-driven stuff. I don't really know if this is a game so much as just exploring a narrative space, but it could be cool. Undo. Then, okay, uh, 31... I played this. This must be on the market already, right? 31 thumbs for one key. This is a sharp game. Uh, It's uh, basically from the same publisher as Mysterium, if I recall correctly. Is that right? Is that right? Um, Yeah, uh, Liebelin. And the interesting thing, this, uh, the best way I can sum it up is it's a cross between code names. Uh, where one player, you know, uh, uh, Codenames and um, uh, Mysterium. You know, it's that kind of game. But it has a very, very interesting element. There's one player giving out clues so that other players can figure out, oh, I've, we've got all these different pictures. We have to figure out what the one key is. Because if we guess wrong and we choose something else, we, we, everybody loses. The player giving the clues, all our Codenames or Mysterium or what have you, is in an interesting situation because he doesn't give one clue. He actually draws three cards and can decide for each one of these three cards whether it's a good clue, an okay clue, or a terrible clue. Wow, this is really spot on. I mean, the colors are exactly the same, or it's the same shape, or it's the same characters, or whatever. Or it's a good clue, or it's a terrible clue. And here's the thing. So I look at these three things. I say, oh yeah, that's terrible, that's terrible, that's that one's okay. And then I uh, show the three cards to my team who are trying to figure out, based on my clues, what the one key is. And they can only pick one of those three cards to decide. Let's start what he said about this. And so you, as the clue giver, have to think about which one are they most likely to ask about. Because uh, i got to make sure I really clue them in on that. And um, so you're constantly thinking about things. And the thing I love about this is so often in these sorts of games, when you're the clue giver, you have choices that are just terrible. I can't give you any good clues. They're all useless. Now you can give those because you can say, hey, yeah, this is a terrible clue. And then players know, oh, this allows us to eliminate things. It's so brilliant. This is such a good game. It's It really... 
um, stands out from the crowd of these sorts of you know team uh, intuition games, uh, you know, in, in, in uh, incomplete communication games, and I like it a lot. That's one key with only sadly thirty one. Thumbs, but then we move on to a game of 32 thumbs, Penny Lane, which has absolutely nothing to do with the Beatles. Here's why this is interesting. It's from the same designers of Mintworks, which was a very interesting worker placement game. Uh, the main reason it's rememberable is because the whole game fit in a Altoids mint box sized box. But that was cool, but that wasn't what I thought was special. What I thought was interesting about the game is everybody had a shared communal pool of workers they were drawing from in this worker placement game. Penny Lane takes that little tiny germ of an idea and blows it up into a big, full-sized, um, you know, more elaborate, more, deeper, richer worker placement game. And since they got a lot of mileage out of it in just a tiny little box, what will they be able to do with a big old box? There's a lot of cool ideas in here, and I'm really intrigued by Penny Lane. And it constantly puts the Beatles song in my head. It's in my head now. It's in your head now, too, isn't it? Should I... It's in my ears and in my eyes. All right, so I'll stop. All right. Um, or a fish and finger pie. Okay, after that, 33 Thumbs brings us to Old West Empresario, which is from Tasty Minstrel Games. And this is the oh spiritual sequel it's from a different designer. Um, you know, different gameplay, but uh, the same setting. It is the sequel to Tasty Minstrel Games' Pioneer Days, which if you saw my video for it, I was blown away. Pioneer Days could have been a top 10 of the year candidate. It was so good. It was just about perfection in terms of dice drafting as uh, you know, players were trying to run their own wagon trains to head west and, and you know, stay alive and, and uh, not have people fall afoul of... Oh, disasters and stuff like that on the on the wagon trail. And we loved it so much, except so much of that game is about trying to plan to make disasters happen when they don't hurt me and they hurt everybody else, and so it was just too cutthroat. Now, Old West Empresario is the sequel in that now we've arrived, and we're still doing dice drafting to uh, you know build up a, you know, an Old West town where we finally ended up. I like that continuity. I like that it's also dice drafting. I like uh, that it's from the designer of Dice Hospital and Lockup. And those are two very good games. I, he has a few other games, which I haven't played. Uh, Rurik Dawn of Kiev, which is his other one. Oh, and my gosh, he's got a Valeria. Shadow Kingdom of Valeria. He's doing a Valeria game. So this designer, what's his name? Stan Kordunsky. Kordunsky. Um, he's somebody to pay attention to because those are good games. Tasty Mr. Games does not put out bad games. Uh, you know, they, they, they've got a great vetting process. So I'm definitely intrigued by Old West Empresario. Then we move on to 33 Thumbs with Legendary Forests. And um, this is, if I recall, let me look. Uh, yeah, this is a bingo-y style game. This is a roll and write bingo game. And I just like bingo games. Or is it roll and write? No, it's tile. It's a... Uh, uh, Tilang. So it's uh, like, oh, what was it? Karuba, if you remember that. Um, where, you know, everybody, you know, every round, okay, everybody put this tile down, but then everybody does their own unique thing on their own board. And even though we had the exact same seed that, uh, you know, drove us through the game, we always end up with radically different outcomes. I love that idea. I'm always keen on seeing a new one. And so uh, this one looks good, especially because the art. I mean, this box cover looks absolutely gorgeous. So that's why I'm interested in it. Um, 
Although not many other people because we're at 33. I say 33. What is the top thumb thing here? Yeah, the top th- thumb um, game on this list is going to be 267. So 33 is still not doing all that great. But it looks interesting to me. Legendary Forest. Then we've got another game that I've covered in the past when it was on Kickstarter. It'll run down for Chocolatiers. And as I recall, the thing I really dug about this, this is a game where players are um, competing to make the nicest presentation box of chocolates. Uh, so the subject matter is is intrinsically appealing, although maybe kind of dangerous as well, um, because it triggers certain urges. But uh, the thing that I thought was really interesting, you know, uh, there's two halves. There's the uh, card drafting, which was kind of almost Ticket to Ride-esque, where there's a bunch, you can draw blind, you can take one of the ones you can see, you can... I think there was stuff like you can... If you have cards you don't like, you can convert them into other cards and stuff like that. I mean, that was all nice, but what was really interesting was once you got these cards... There's this whole puzzle element of how you lay them out in your little tableau that is going to create your box of chocolates. And once you put a tile down, there's really strict restrictions about what can go next to existing tiles and all that. And that puzzle was really great. I like remember liking that a lot. Boche and I were very impressed. The the other half of the game was okay, but the tile laying was great. And then, yeah, it's making a box of chocolates. So... What's not to like with uh, Chocolatiers? Then we move up to 37 Thumbs... Uh, for the Realm of Sand. And wow. Remember I said right up front, games that have been around forever? This game came out at Essen last year. But I guess but it's coming. It's getting its launch now. That's okay. Um, when I played it, uh, I remember being pretty impressed by it. It is another polyomino game. Although, actually, I don't know if I thought of it at the time. But the more I think about it now, it's kind of like a non-confrontational Tash Kalar. Which is a really interesting idea because uh, you know in this game you 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 grab the polyomino pieces that you know you're trying to puzzle onto your own little board, and the interesting thing is while the pieces originally come in you know L shapes and S shapes and all of that, you 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 take that tile but you don't place that actual tile on your board. You just use it as a blueprint because you end up placing the individual little pieces of that tile, and that's important because when you hit certain goals, when you I mean you're constrained by your board, but when you've hit certain targets like recipes of 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 different pieces you're trying to get next to each other, you score those. Uh, targets that represent buildings that are getting built, and then all the pieces that were involved with that come off the board. So I put down an S-shaped tile, and I put down an L-shaped tile, and I put down a square and all that, and I was starting to fill up the board, but then when I complete this objective, two-thirds of all the pieces of those uh, polyominoes disappear. And suddenly it leaves this weird patchwork that I have to fill in, and I created that weird minefield of a patchwork. It's a really clever idea. I don't think it got much attention. It clearly didn't, because it only has 37 thumbs, which is too bad. But it's a neat little game, Realm of Sand. Uh, if you like polyomino, Tetris-style puzzlers, you might want to check it out. But let's move on to uh, 38 thumbs for Imaginarium. Now, I'll be honest, this is another game that's been around forever. It's officially a 2018 game, and uh, I guess it's just going wide now at Gen Con. And uh, it's a worker placement game. I, I, I've never really been that into it, mostly because, I'll be honest, I'm just not the biggest Bruno Cathala fan, and he is co-designing this with Florian uh, Sirix. <clears throat> I don't know if Florian's done other stuff. But Bruno's games 
are pretty hit and miss with me, generally pretty miss. I always respect them and I think, oh wow, that's really well designed. It's just totally not for me and Jen. Just only doesn't work for us. Very rarely has one of his games been a keeper. But recently, Scott Alden, when I was talking with him, again, the head geek of Board Game Geek, he was talking about having recently played it and he adored it. He really raved about it. So that kind of pumped it up a little bit. So, okay, I'm interested now. I'll give Imaginarium a try. Or at least I would look into it a little bit more, although I have not taken the time to do it. But uh, that's that. Another one with 38 thumbs is Dungeon Academy. And this one I did play. Uh, This is a very, very good game. I played it again at Board Game Geek Spring. I got it out of the library. And uh, so why... I'm just going to stop questioning Eric Martin, who I believe earlier I said Eric W. Martin. It's W. Eric Martin. The W is for Warren. Uh, But anyway... Uh, this is a very neat roll and write game, different than any other roll and write out there, because the dice you roll are in a four by four pattern, and once you roll them, that creates a dungeon full of treasures and monsters. And the writing everybody does is simultaneous, as fast as possible, trying to trace a path through the dungeon that's been created by the dice, and score as many points and deal with as many monsters as possible. It's sharp. Really liked it a lot. Only played it a few rounds um, at. Uh, but I you know, but really, Doug, it would love to play it some more. And it's interesting. It's the same basic idea. I talked about this earlier as Deadly Doodles, although Deadly Doodles uh, uses cards instead of dice. So um, both intriguing ideas. And I, 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 I'm not having a guess. I know this is a good game. Acad- Academy. Uh, Dungeon Academy is very sharp, although... You wouldn't know that by listening to the Dungeons of Board Game Geek because it is sitting pretty at 38 thumbs. So let's move on to 40 thumbs. Exit the game, the Catacombs of Horror. I actually have this right now, which makes me think... Oh, no, again, I'm not going to do that anymore. Okay, it's on the list, so I will talk about it earlier. I uh, talked about my love of Deckscape. And uh, Deckscape has never steered me wrong, and it always makes me feel good and happy to have played it. Um, unlike other games, Exit is so hit or miss with us. I mean, Jen and I will play one of the Exit games, and we're like, wow, that was absolutely amazing. And we'll play another one, and oh my god, that was the worst thing ever. I swear we'll never play these again. And um, because we just don't find it fun to feel like idiots for an hour under incredible stress and pressure. So, I mean, I'm almost to the point where I'm just done with these, with the exception of Deckscape, but I'll give this one a go. Because what's most interesting about it is, it's actually two separate games in one, and uh, apparently there comes a point where you, you make it through like the first adventure, and then you're supposed to put it away and start for the next one. I'm intrigued by that. I'm intrigued by the idea of, hey, it's okay to stop. And put it away and come back later. Because maybe that's what we need more of, Jen and me, with our exit games. That, you know, we just get so mentally fatigued and we just get, get, you know, I don't know why it is that these things always get tougher and tougher, harder and harder puzzles the longer it goes. When we get more and more mentally fatigued and we're less likely to be able to solve them. That is such as a stupid design flaw in most of these. But maybe this will be better because it actually encourages us to walk away and try again later. I'm intrigued by that. So, uh, it's on my list. Exit the game, The Catacombs of Horror. Then, uh, 42 thumbs for foodies. Remember a while ago, I talked about Machi Koro, how uh, you know it was such a great idea, just implemented very poorly, and since then, others have done it so much better. 
I suspect Foodies is going to be another one of those games that does it better. We're making the best, we're trying, we're competing to make the best food court. We've got all these different restaurants, and every round a die gets rolled, and that if if it comes up a five, everybody gets to activate the restaurant in space five. Oh no, I don't have a restaurant in space five. You know that kind of stuff. Again, the Machi Koro type thing. Um, I have to admit, I'm I'm kind of weirdly. It's not necessarily right to say I'm turned off by food themes, but. As time has gone on, I used to think, oh yeah, this is something I really like, but I like them less and less. But I am still intrigued by this one because I do like that um, that Machi Koro... I mean, it's really Settlers of Catan, when you think about it. That's certainly what everybody likened Machi Koro to when it first came out. Oh, Settlers of Catan, you roll a die, and everybody gets to activate that space. That is such a great, wonderful thing. Um, we'll see how well Foodies does it, uh, if they've done it as well as the current high-watermark Valeria Card Kingdom. Okay, 42 thumbs again... Four Colors of Paris. And, you know, like I just said, more and more I'm finding myself less intrigued by food themes. I'm also not particularly intrigued by artiste themes, which is to say, oh, I have to collect a bunch of paints and then mix them to create secondary colors out of my primary colors so I can make works of art. That's what this game is. Not the first to do it. I mean, and we love Fresco, don't get me wrong, but every time we ever see another one of these, we're like, well, let's just play Fresco instead. Here's what's interesting about this one. the It's a worker placement to uh, you know go out and gather the stuff and, and combine the stuff and paint the stuff and all that. But the worker placement board is very intriguing because it's, um, it's on a wheel. And uh, basically... The worker placement spots can, from time to time, or maybe it's every round, I'm not quite sure, rotate because they're all on this wheel. And that changes the worker. It doesn't change the function of the spaces, but it changes the scarcity of the spaces. It might be this round, it's incredibly easy. I could go with three workers to get all the red paint I need. And if I, if I, but you know, so, but I don't need the red paint right now. But if I look ahead into the future, I can see that when the wheel, the board wheel rotates, suddenly, next couple of rounds, it might be pretty tough to get red paint. So even though I don't need it right now, maybe I should get it now while the getting's good. That's an intriguing concept. I just saw a mock-up prototype of this, and I'm really, uh, I really like the idea of this. So Colors of Paris, very interesting, very intriguing. I would definitely want to go see this in person if I were at the show and consider it. Anyway, 42 thumbs for that. 45 thumbs brings us to Tribes, The Dawn of Humanity. Now, this is another game that came out this says 2018. Is that true? Actually, no. I think it originally came out in 2017 when it was just called Tribes and when I did a video of it. Um, and it was a very, very cool tech tree game mixed with the uh, time track of something like Thebes. These two systems worked really wonderfully, but the tech tree itself is randomly generated, so I, I thought it was really, really neat. I, I was a bit bummed by it because um, there was... A not insignificant amount of, quote, player interaction, end quote, which is to say, oh, I'll try to create the thing that's really going to hurt you because it doesn't bother me. We weren't fond of that, but we kind of liked everything else about it. But it has now been picked up for a much, for like a second edition, completely revamped the art because it was not a pretty game. It, it didn't look that great. Um, so it's been given a, bit, a new coat of paint. And as I understand it, there's been a lot of tweaking and updating to the formula. It really is uh, you know, a, a, you know, a whole new, or not a whole new game, but a different game overall. And so I'm intrigued to try it again, especially because I should have led with this. It's from uh, designer Rustin, oh, I never remember your last name, Hack, 
something or other. Uh, Hackinson, Rustin Hackinson, who was the uh, lead designer on Nations, which is one of my top 10 games of all time. Tribes is the prequel to Nations. So, I've always loved the idea of it, and I'm looking forward to seeing if this new uh, version will bring it more love and attention that it, it didn't get in its first go. That was 45 thumbs for Tribes, Dawn of Humanity. And then also we have 45 thumbs for Roll for Adventure. I don't know much about this. It is a cooperative fantasy adventure game, although it's really more Euro-y. I, I think, is it dice drafting? I'm not 100% certain. I have to admit, I've never paid much attention. I think it's dice rolling to achieve fantasy objectives and stuff like that. Uh, but I've wanted to play it forever. I mean, it was like announced two years ago when it came out in Germany last year. I've mostly been interested because it's from the designers, Brent, uh, Matt Dunstan and Brett Gilbert, who again, these guys, uh, they will always be interesting to me because of Elysium. And uh, yeah, it's a fantastic game. Oh, by the way, another one of their games, Chocolate Factory, is going to be at the show, but demo only. I don't know if I'm going to talk about demos. I guess it depends on how tired I am after all of this. But anyway, um, that's neither here nor there. Roll for Adventure. I've been waiting for this one for years, it feels like. Okay, but I just don't know enough about it to say whether it's a top 10 or not. Because I've just never done the research, because I just know it'll be good. But since I didn't do the research, I can't recommend it to you, other than to say I'm I'm intrigued. Uh, I'm also intrigued by Magnus Storm, which, again, came out at Essen Spiel last year. An English version of it came out. So th- there's... Whatever. Uh, Magnus Storm is very cool. A very unique twist on worker placement uh, with kind of an area control vibe going on. In fact, actually, there's so much vying for area control over so many things in this game. I mean, you're constantly giving stuff up to your opponents to get other stuff. It's really sharp. Great production. Really neat game. From the um, uh, Fjordland, the publisher of... uh, What do you call it? Uh... Can't think of it. Gaia Project and Terra Mystica. So, I mean, those folks know what they're doing. And, I mean, I, 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 I think Magnus Storm has pretty much gotten nothing but universal critical acclaim. And now it's going to a wider market, which is good. Okay, 46 Thumbs brings us to Little Towns, uh, which has the uh, terrible misfortune to come out within a couple of months of Tiny Towns. Oh, this is, I'm sorry, Little Town which has the unfortunate uh, coincidence to come out within a couple months of Tiny Towns, which I still believe is probably going to be one of the top 10 best games of the year when all of a sudden done, Tiny Towns is so amazing. But I'm intrigued by Tiny Town. It's another little, uh, you know, very humble uh, village building simulator, but it's worker placement instead of... T- well, no, actually it's worker placement and tiling. But the thing I'm intrigued by this is the notion that when I put a worker on the main board, I, it's, it's not like there's just worker placement slots. I can put them in any of the spaces where we will ultimately be building up our town. And what happens is that worker activates everything that's adjacent to where I place him, uh, which means he harvests lumber or stone or what have you. If you, if you go over to one corner of the board or he, he goes fishing, I don't know what all you get from the water over in the other corner. But not only that, as buildings start getting built on this grid, uh, when you put him next to buildings, he triggers those buildings. That's a very, very cool uh, idea. It's basically a worker placement game where players are designing the board as you go, creating opportunities for each other. I like that idea a lot, so I'm really intrigued by Tiny Town. Uh, um, you know, I don't know if it'll be as good as Tiny Town or as um, oh, I've said t- or, no, ah, Little Town. Oh my gosh, that's such a. They should have. They should have renamed it. I, I, I'm sure they couldn't. I'm sure they didn't have time. But I'm looking forward to Little Town. I already have Tiny Towns. 
Moving on to 47 Thumbs with the Crusoe Crew. I covered this quite a while ago when it was on Kickstarter. This is a choose-your-own-adventure comic book where each player plays a unique character in the story and they get their own comic book where they have unique uh, comic panels that no one else sees and you all work together. It's just the bee's knees. Particularly good for families, for playing with kids and stuff like that. But Jenna, heck, we enjoyed it just as two adults. Uh, you know, Just laying on the couch on a Sunday afternoon, just having little adventures, tell, describing what we see in our own comic books and uh, you know coordinating trying to find as much treasure as possible neat fun stuff the caruso crew then we've got 48 thumbs for patchwork doodle a another roll and write from ube rosenberg uh, where once again he's doing polyomino stuff i believe you're rolling dice to tell you what polyomino you can draw and then you draw them onto a grid so it's it's a roll and write patchwork Hence the name, Patchwork Doodle. I guess it's kind of right there. And uh, yeah, that sounds really nice. Uh, I, from everybody who's played it, because it seems like it's pretty widely available. It seems like every uh, reviewer in the universe, except for me, ended up getting a copy sent to them. Which, I'm a little sad about that, but that's okay. I'll move on. There's plenty of other games to play. I can't complain too much. But uh, it looks like one of the most charming things about this game is that it encourages you, as you're filling in your polyominoes, to get artistic with it and fill them full of flowers or you know geometric patterns or all kinds of stuff so that you can read the thing. And I, I just kind of like that, that it you know kind of tickles the artistic fancy. While still, presumably, hey, it's from Uwe Rosenberg. I'm assuming it's going to be a solid design. Uh, patchwork Doodle. Then, 48 Thumbs. We're holding at 48 for Noctiluca. Okay, this is from designer Shem Phillips. If that name doesn't ring a bell to you, it should, because Shem Phillips is the designer of Raiders of the North Sea and the entire North Sea trilogy, and he's the co-designer on the Architects of the West Kingdom, the West Kingdom trilogy. Uh, he is an independent designer publisher in New Zealand, uh, and he has been on a tear for the last few years. I mean, you know, getting Kenner Spiel nominations and all that kind of stuff, and it's really interesting. I'm at first I was wondering why didn't he just publish this himself? He's certainly capable of. He's made such these these really popular games. They've been big. Big hits. And instead, this one's getting published by Z-Man of all things. And then I took a look at screenshots of it, and it's an abstract um, dice game, and it looks like it comes with about fifty thousand gorgeous dice. And so I can only assume the production cost of this must have been pretty substantial, and that's probably something he didn't want to bite off. So he partnered with Z-Man. And um, you know, I'm not usually a big guy for abstract games, you know, but uh, you know, with uh, and you know, and and this looks like it kind of scratches the same itch as your Azules and your um, oh what Reef and all that. You know, this kind of explosion of uh, or you not know, explosion yet, but the, you know, this kind of resurgence of gorgeous, beautiful, quasi abstract games. And that's what this looks to be. I don't even know what it's about. Quiet waters filled with shimmering lights. Um, awaken. Eh, whatever. Uh, Shem is a good designer. He's really been coming into his own, and it looks gorgeous. So that's why I'm intrigued by Noctiluca. Then, moving on. Ooh, a big jump from 48 to 58 thumbs for Roland Ranch. Another dice rolling game. And, or I'm sorry, not dice rolling. Another roll and write game. I like Roland Wrights. This is uh, about rescuing animals and improving your ranch. So I know Jen and I will very much enjoy this subject matter, and we like Roland Wrights. 
Good enough for me. Moving on um, from Roland Ranch to 59 Thumbs for The Carnival of Monsters. I guess this is some kind of card drafting game from designer Richard Garfield, Mr. Magic the Gathering himself, Mr. Robo Rally, Mr. King of Tokyo. I mean, I mean, gosh, this guy's career is absolutely insane. Even when I don't like his games, I'm still impressed by them. And uh, the main reason this is on my list, though, is not because of Richard Garfield. It's because of Tom Vassell. A few years ago, when he had a prototype of this, he raved about it up and down the street. Um, you know, kind of broke his own... He had already stopped doing... Kickstarter videos at that time, but he said, I'm breaking my rule because this is such an amazing prototype. I want to make everybody know about it. And he was going to try and make it part of the Dice Tower Essentials line and all that, which didn't happen for whatever reason, but whatevs. Um, so, I, you know, he raved about it so much, I feel like I should pay attention to it. I have subsequently never paid attention to it. And in fact, if anything, I'm a little bit nervous about the subject matter because I'm just not that excited about capturing animals and trapping them in cages to, to put on display in a carnival. Or, you know, or, I'm sorry, not animals, creatures, magical creatures. So I'm kind of iffy on that, but still, I'll give it a go. Carnival of Monsters. Then 59 thumbs again for The Captain is Dead, Dangerous Planet. Now here's the deal, folks. The Captain is Dead is a wonderful love letter to Star Trek The Original Series. It's a cooperative, pandemic-inspired game where players are trying to keep the not-USS Enterprise um, from blowing up as it's under assault from aliens on all sides. It's a very, very good game. The sequel, The Captain is Dead... Oh, I can't remember the name of the sequel. A Lockdown was... Not great. Uh, Jen and I, we played half a game. We were so disappointed by it, we never finished. I do intend to finish it at some point, so I can actually talk about it a bit more authoritatively, but based on our half a play, we were both really disappointed after how good Captain is Dead was. Well, a third Captain is Dead is coming. Dangerous Planet, where um, we are now beaming down. We're no longer just on the ship. And just based on how good the first one was... I'm hoping whatever lessons from the second one were learned, needed, need to be learned, were learned, and the third one will be great, uh, because I'm intrigued. I, I love it. I'm a diehard Trekkie, and so The Captain is Dead, Dangerous Planet is a must-check-out for me. Then we've got Obscurio, which is another Mysterium-style. Players are giving clues to each other via art-style game. Like I talked about earlier with One Key. I mean, there's a bunch of these games. What makes Obscurio stand out? Traitors. Um, this is a hidden role game where you can't be 100% certain if the people you're giving clues to are actually on your side. Or maybe it's people who are giving clues. I'm not quite sure. Now, here's the thing. I'm intrigued by that. Um, you, know, you know, having to do this extra level of intuition. Not only what does this card mean, but was the person who gave it to me telling the truth? Or vice versa. Um, or is the person trying to convince me of what it is? Now, the problem is, of course, it's, it's a, says it supports two players. I have no idea how well they will do at this, uh, you, know, uh, you know, successfully making this work for two players. I would not be surprised at all if, in fact, they just dropped the, the, potential, the, you know, the hidden roles altogether, which would be too bad. But I'd understand it. But, here's the thing. It's from the same design group that gave us One Key, and I've already played One Key, and it's fantastic, so I expect... Uh, I mean, these people know what they're doing. It's where I say these people, because nobody knows who they are, uh, because there's not a listing. It's, it's a design group, and it doesn't list out who the designers themselves are, but... Um, I'm interested in Scurio, and other people are too, because we're up to 60 thumbs now. We're in the top third now, folks. We're on our way. And, uh, moving on to 64 thumbs, there is Corinth. 
which I'm surprised this one didn't end up lower because uh, you know a lot of reviewers have already reviewed it. I reviewed it. Uh, Jedi, we thought it was nice. It's basically a roll and write re-implementation of a classic oldie Ispahan. Uh, you know, it, it keeps some of the core ideas of Ispahan there, the way the dice drafting works and all of that. And Jedi liked it, but others have been less enthusiastic about it. But I guess it's getting a wider distribution now and people are into it. Um, because it's got 64 thumbs, which puts in the top third. Like I said, we liked it. If you want to know why, you can go check out my video. Corinth. Then, oh, we like this one a lot. 65 thumbs for Museum, which is a great uh, card drafting set collection game. It is working on so many levels. The The draft is exciting. The interplay between players, because uh, if I discard cards to play cards, you know, that roll for the... Or not, race for the... Or, yeah, race for the galaxy. Uh, you know, a multi-use card thing is definitely here. And when I do that, the cards I spend go into my discard pile, which other players can go digging through. So I'm ending up creating opportunities for them. Lang creating my tableau is a really wonderful puzzle. This game is just fantastic. And it's gorgeous with non-stop wall-to-wall art from Vincent Dutre. And not only is the base game there, but it'll have a boatload of expansions. Um, like four or five. Just an incredible amount of content available. Definitely. Well, again, check out my video. Don't trust me. Um, but we were very impressed by Museum. And then uh, another 65-thumber. Crusaders, thy will be done. I, now, this has been around for... All right, I'm not doing it. I am not repeating myself. I'll just talk about it because it's on the list and this is a very cool Rondell game. Um, and in this one, what was the other one I talked about earlier? Dreams? I, I talked about the um, the Rondell game where the Rondell... Everybody has a shared Rondell and it's constantly just reconfiguring itself and you just got to kind of wrestle the thing to the ground um, and, and try to make it work. In Crusaders, everybody has their own private Rondell. Uh, kind of, think Trajan. And you're using that to engage in all kinds of Knights Templar activities. Although, interestingly, not the Crusades. The Crusades do not make an appearance... Or at least what we think of as the Crusades do not make an appearance in the Crusaders. Uh, and instead, it's all about the you know the, the various uh, Knights Templar groups uh, you know spreading their their influence all around Europe for the most part. But it's driven by a uh, by customizable rondels that over the course of the game you change and upgrade your rondel to give you better and better actions, and then you want to use those actions. But if you know rondels, that's uh, not easier said than done because they're very restricting in what they do. It's really sharp, gorgeous production. I know it's been a big hit for Tasty Minstrel with good reason. Uh, oh, and the one that'll be here, this I wouldn't be surprised if this is the last chance anybody will ever have to be able to get the deluxe edition instead of the regular edition. That seems to be Tasty Minstrel's MO. I'm not quite sure but it's a good game. Uh, don't believe me? Watch my run-through. Crusaders. 66 Thumbs brings us to Tales of Glory. Um, a game which I have to admit sounds pretty generic, but once again, I'm going to go to Scott Alden, the head geek of Board Game Geek. Ah, uh, he has raved about this game. I mean, uh, for him, he says it's one of the best games he's played this year, and it certainly looks gorgeous. And I will say one thing, it's a card drafting game, where you're drafting cards that represent life events. And you place them um, on your tableau. You basically create a snake of cards that represent all the chapters of your life as you are telling your tale of glory. 
And I really like that because it means, oh, if I take this one card and that's the next chapter of my life that I completed this quest or whatever, it kind of defines or limits me on what the next card I can draft is because you're creating a tale and what happened to you in this chapter of your life affects what you'll do next. That's a really intriguing concept. Now, I have to admit, like I said, it's mostly because um, Scott is so hot for this game, but I am hot for it too. This one, if I'd known more about it, it might have made my top 10. So that's how into it I am. Uh, Tales of Glory. Then, 67 Thumbs. Another one that might have made it into my top 10 if I knew more about it. I'm just not sure. It's Quirky Circuits. And now, this is a cooperative robot programming game. Think RoboRally, except everybody's cooperatively working together to program one robot to do a bunch of tasks. Uh, It comes with a near and far-esque storybook presentation where you go through chapters. I mean, you keep flipping and you and you keep getting new rules for new tasks you have to make your robots do. Um, and players are simultaneously playing the programming cards, move forward, rotate, activate special ability and stuff like that. The tricky thing is, as I'm playing these cards and you are playing these cards to try and get the robot to do whatever it needs to do to complete the objective of the current level, nobody can say what they're playing. On the back of the card I play, there's a limited information. You can see, oh, it's a movement card, or it's a rotation card, or it's a special effect card. So um, it almost has, it kind of feels almost like the mind in that you're like, okay, well, I know I could play this move. Oh, but you played a movement forward card. Did you play one that moves us far enough? Should I move more? What will that do? We won't know until everybody's done programming and then we flip all the cards face up and we see what we've actually come up with. That's a really cool idea. It could be terrible, it could be absolutely awful. But I'm really intrigued by it because I love these cooperative games with imperfect information, your Hanabis and all of that. So, uh, Quirky Circuits would be high on my list to check out. And it must be high because we're now into like the top 25% when we're at 67 thumbs. And after uh, Quirky Circuits, we've got Cat Cafe, um, which is a- another roll and write. Yay! And it's a roll and write where you're trying to make, uh, you know, you know how those. Oh, what do you call them? Those... I don't know what you call them. They're, essentially, they're just catch-scratching posts, except they've got like little caves inside them and toys and all kinds of things. You're trying to make the best catch-scratching post uh, to make cats happy, um, which I have to admit is not a subject... I'm a dog guy, not a cat guy. I got nothing against cats. Sesame was a great cat, the cat I had growing up. But anyway, um, it's uh, dice drafting... In a two-player game, there would be three dice rolled. I take one, you take one, and then the remaining one, we both end up getting used. Think Lagranha and several other games. That's always a great mechanism. But then, so once I've got my two dice decided, one of them has one function, the other has another, but I can assign them. So these dice are multi-use dice. This sounds really cool. So I'm really intrigued, and I'm not alone, because this has gotten a lot of thumbs. I don't know, maybe it's just because of the cats. I don't know. But Cat Cafe looks really intriguing. Then, we've got... Copenhagen, which is another polyomino Tetrisy style game. I already did a video for it uh, when it was on Kickstarter, I think. Or I don't know. I did a, f- a run through for it a few months ago, Jen. I really liked it a lot. One of the better ones. And uh, the regular and the deluxe edition will be available. I have to admit, I'm almost kind of more inclined to go with the regular edition myself. But I mean, that deluxe edition does look nice. Also, a bunch more expansion content for Copenhagen will be there as well. So that's worth bearing in mind. If you like polyomino games, you like Tetris style board games, Copenhagen is one of the better ones. 
After that, 77 thumbs for Ticket to Ride London. Now, I have to admit, when Ticket to Ride New York came out, I completely did not care at all. Jen and I, we outgrew Ticket to Ride a long time ago. I got rid of all my Ticket to Ride stuff. And we realized, yeah, it's good to keep around as a gateway game, but we never have gateway situations. And we have plenty of games anyway. So I got rid of Ticket to Ride, never looked back. And, oh, it's Ticket to Ride, but 10 minutes. It's like filler Ticket to Ride. Okay, fine, whatever. That might be nice. I don't really care. Um, but now, Ticket to Ride London. Oh, I care, because London is Jen's favorite city in the world. She absolutely loves it to pieces, and so it's really the subject matter that might finally pull me back into a Ticket to Ride game with Ticket to Ride London. Plus, I, I'm a little intrigued. How do you turn a big 45-hour-long game into a 10-minute game? I don't know. Um, I'll, we'll find out with Ticket to Ride London. <clears throat> then, 80 thumbs for... Letter Jam. This is another one of those cooperative, imperfect communication games. Uh, I need, we need to come up with a term for that because that seems to be a thing these days. Uh, you know, I mean, I mean, with the mind and pretty much everything Wolfgang Vorsch seems to do, and uh, you know, Hanabi, and I've mentioned several other ones. Your your Dixits, your Mysteriums, or not Dixit, but your Mysteriums and your code names. All these games where we're all trying to achieve a common goal, but we can't just talk openly. Um, you know, I mean, heck, I mean, the first one I all got started with, and then we held hands. Um, so anyway, another one, Letter Jam, which seems like it's kind of crossing Scrabble with Hanabi. From CGE, their last party game, uh, along the same lines as this, was Codenames, which turned out to be amazing and worked so well for two. So I expect Letter Jam will work well for two as well. This would have been... I'm, I'm glad this is high on the list, because it would have been high on my personal list also. Then, Welcome to Dino World. Another roll and write. This one where you are rolling dice and using them to make your own Jurassic Park and try to keep those dinos contained because they always want to escape in the middle of a storm and eat all your guests. Of course they do. You'd think we'd learn, wouldn't you? Um, so, I played a prototype of it. It was on Kickstarter. It's very good. The most distinguishing thing about this amongst all the other roll and writes out there, it is... I. I think at this point, I said it at the time, and I think it's still true, it is the heaviest roll and write ever. The biggest, richest, most complex one there is. This is not a gateway. This is not one that you want to play with newbies, like most roll and writes, because you bring people in and say, oh, I know Tetris. Oh, this is like Tetris. Oh, this is fun. You don't do that with Welcome to Dino World. This is a big, heavy beast of a game. Uh, super AP-inducing, really sharp, and we liked it. Welcome to Dino World. Uh, after that, we've got Walking in Burano. I just filmed this uh, just just this month, actually. And it is... Uh, so you can go check out my solo. Did I do a solo run-through? Yes, I did. I'm, everything I'm doing this month was solo. And in fact, I have to say, I've only played it solo, but I'm very excited for Jen to get back so we can play it with her because it is an excellent card drafting game uh, mixed with tableau building, trying to recreate the beautiful painted houses of Murano, which is a suburb of Venice, which Jen and I have been to. It's one of, the, one of Jen's favorite places she's ever been anywhere in the world. So we have a, a, a wonderful attraction to the subject matter, not surprisingly, but the gameplay itself is really good. Super tense and puzzly. One of those really simple, elegant games. It just just puts you through the ringer in the best way. Very, very impressed by Walking in Burano, a big game in a little box. Okay, and interestingly, for people who already might have Walking in Burano, I should say, uh, because it came out last year at Essen, they, they don't say it, but this is kind of the second edition of Walking in Burano, because it includes like an additional 10 cards, character cards that weren't in the original game. So, 
People who think, ah, yawn, I already have Walking Brano. You don't. Be sure to head over to the AEG booth so you can say, I've got the original Walking Brano. I would like to get the new cards because I understand they're going to be releasing them as some kind of promo pack or something like that. I'm not quite sure. But folks, if you like Walking Brano as much as I do, but you've only got the original edition, you must get those additional cards. They're so cool. Anyway, moving on to 89 Thumbs and Wreck Raiders which is a cool dice worker placement game. Hey, I was talking earlier about how we don't see many of those. Here's another cool one. And this one is particularly good because it features a healthy dollop of uh, worker placement bumping. Uh, I, I'm going to go here because, okay, I, I really want to do this thing, but I kind of want to do this. And if I go do this one that I only kind of want to do, I know you really want to do it, so you'll end up doing it, and thereby giving me a big benefit as you bump me out of that space. One of my one of the best nonviolent uh, player interaction mechanisms I've ever seen, and it works really well here in this game where we are scuba divers trying to find the the most uh, the, the the best sunken treasure possible. Neat, fun stuff. Gorgeous production. Nice all the way around. Rec Raiders. Well deserved for it to be up in the top twenty percent. Then we've got Imhotep the Duel, and I'll admit I completely passed on Emotep, even though I've heard nothing but how uh, fantastic it is uh, as a, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, a tile drafting, tile laying game. All I know is it was crazy cutthroat. When I read the rules for it and they asked, hey, do you want to cover this? And I said, could you send me the rules? And they did. And I ran. I said, no, I do not want to play this game at all. It is so mean. Meanest old tile laying that I've ever seen. But oddly, the duel which is a new version of it for two players, seems to have taken all the nasty cutthroat stuff out. You'd think it would go the other way, like Seven Wonders, which was amazing, but then Seven Wonders Duel became a pretty cutthroat game. Emotep the Duel went the other way, and I love it! Uh, So I just kind of want to reward them for that, um, as a Care Bear through and through. But... Uh, Phil Walker Harding is definitely a, a you know a very world class designer, and so I'm very excited about Emotep the Duel. And then moving right along, folks, we've made it 100 thumbs at least as of what is it 5:35 p or 5:31 p.m. Uh, Pacific time on uh, the 28th of Jan- of July. Not that any of that matters. Las Vegas Royal has 100 thumbs. From Rudiger Dorn, which right in and of itself, right there, Rudiger Dorn, he's he's done enough to permanently establish himself as one of the premier Euro developers working. And I, I never played Las Vegas because it's a very, very lightweight dice game. A great gateway, I've heard. But the new deluxe edition that signals publisher uh, Aaliyah and Ravensburger's de, um renewed or you know their 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 newfound focus on high quality production. Aaliyah makes some of the best euros of all time, but they've always also generally made some of the poorest quality components of all time. Not really paying much for art, always going with cheap flimsy materials, and I guess Las Vegas probably suffered from that as well. So Las Vegas, one of their biggest games of all time, is their first big deluxe makeover game. Now, that's all nice. I'm more interested in Castles of Burgundy, which is going to be the second one, but that's not going to be here, apparently. Maybe they'll have pictures of it, though. That'd be great. But anyway, now is finally the time, folks, to check out Las Vegas. I don't know if anything about the gameplay changes. I don't really know anything about the game. I've never paid attention to it. It looked always too lightweight and fluffy, but I'll give it a go because I want to see the the new Deluxe Aaliyah. 
and Robinsberger. Okay, then 101 thumbs for Artsy, which is spelled funny, A-R-T-S-E-E. So I don't know if it's Artsy, but I'm just going to say it's Artsy, like you're Artsy, but not with a Y. Um, this is on my list for one reason and one reason alone, and that is designer J. Alex uh, Kevin, who blew me away, came out of nowhere and just utterly gobsmacked both me and Jen with Sentient, which was such a wonderful, puzzly little game. And then he knocked it out of the park again with, oh, Prowler's Passage. And while, oh, the third game of his we played, Passing Through Petro was nice, but I didn't think it was really as well-balanced as it could have been with two. Oh, and let's not forget his reel, his opener, that also blew me away, Gold West. Um, you know, uh, Alex... I guess he prefers Alex instead of J, whatever the J stands for, is definitely a super hot up-and-coming artist if you like super puzzly Euros. So he's now making an art museum layout game. Okay, don't care. His name is on it. I want to play it. Artsy. 108 thumbs for King Domino Duel, which I just played the other day for the first time with Paul Grogan of Gaming Rules. Check out his channel if you haven't yet. One of the best rules instruction channels. Uh, you know, it's probably tied for top three. Because uh, him, um, Knights Round the Table, and uh, of course, Watch It Played. But anyway, that's not here or there. Just a plug for Paul, because he's awesome, and I love him. But... Um, he and I played a game uh, across the Atlantic of King Domino Duel, and we were both super blown away by this. Both of us were just kind of ho-hum on King Domino. We thought it was fine, but we were not in love with it like the rest of the universe. But we were both very, very impressed by King Domino Duel, which is, say it with me, folks, a roll and write, where you roll the dice and they put two of them together to create your domino that you use to you know, expand your kingdom uh, with special powers and you know lots of great, great stuff. Uh, go check out my video, uh, which hopefully will lead you to go check out more of Paul's videos because he is the bomb. Okay, jumping from 108 to 112 thumbs for Wingspan. Does anything need to be said about Wingspan? It just won the Kenner Spiel. It came out in January. It's on its fourth edition right now. Why is it on this list? I don't know. You might as well say, hey, folks, Agricola is going to be... They're, you know, um, they're going to have copies of Agricola. They're going to have copies of Scythe. I don't know. But whatever. Wingspan is going to be there. Um, so, yeah. And apparently 112 people are excited about that. Uh, you know, out of whatever. Probably three or 400 people, 500 people that have actually thumbed. Um, 114 for another. Yeah, we've been there, done that. Crown of Amar, which was my number 11 best game of last year. And it is fantastic. Uh, you know, uh, was it? Is it? Yeah, multiple rondelles, really great um, action programming, simultaneous action selection stuff. Everything about this game is just awesome. And this designer, Benjamin Schwer, he is definitely... This was his second game after his first big breakout game, um, which was... I've totally forgotten what it was. Oh, no, no. This was his breakout game, wasn't it? Yes. Crown of Amara was his breakout game. Because Livingston didn't really set the world on fire all those years ago. But um, his second game was Hadara, which is getting huge love. Everybody loves Hadara, except for me. Uh, you'll note, by the way, Hadara is on the official preview list. It didn't make my list. Uh, for reasons I mentioned in my run-through. But anyway, Crown of Amara is phenomenal. Like I said, j may, j number 11. Just barely missed my top 10 of 2018. It's that good. If you love Euros 
And if you're listening to this podcast for this long, you better love Euros, because otherwise you're in the wrong place. And this must have been incredibly boring for you. Crown of Amara is the bee's knees. And then with 123, one, two, three thumbs is a Ragusa. Which, what is it about this? What is it about this that made me interested? Uh, from Fabio Lapiano. That does not sound familiar to me. Should I know him? No. Oh yeah. Uh, apparently he did Kalimala, which is a which is a really well respected Euro that came out last year, but it was a three player minimum, so I never played it and didn't care. Uh, Ragusa though is two player. Oh yes, yes, yes. This is what it is. Ragusa is interesting. I talked about this earlier in not tiny town, small town, little town, whatever it was. The idea of a worker placement game where the worker placement board is being built over time because when you put your worker down, you activate everything adjacent to you. But that game, whatever it was, Little Town, oh man, why did you call yourself something so close to Tiny Towns? That was a big mistake. Anyway, though, while while the other one seems like a light gateway or gateway plus little um, 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 uh, trifle, Ragusa looks like the same basic idea, but a big, heavy, economic Euro simulation. I like the idea in the little one. I probably will like it even more in this big one. So definitely want to check out Ragusa. Then 127 thumbs for Detective City of Angels. Oh, this is such a great game, folks. Um, yeah, I, I, I would have. I seriously considered putting this in my top 10 must-seek outs at the show as well. Didn't quite make it. But it's really, really good. Uh, you know, there's a resurgence now. I mean, you know, Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective came out in, what, the early 80s? Um, and kind of set the high watermark for cooperative investigative games where everybody works together to try and solve a mystery by exploring you know, all the nooks and crannies. Basically, choose your own adventures with, with more freedom than any choose-your-own-adventure ever had. That's what these games are. And nowadays, you're seeing so many of them with Chronicles of Crime and um, you know, all of them. But I think Detective City of Angels is the most innovative of all of them. I mean, this is a game that should definitely be getting most innovative uh, of the year awards in early next year in 2020 because it's amazing because yeah it is a game with a bunch of detectives who are going around trying to solve a crime and it's competitive although you can play cooperative too uh but i think it's best as a competitive game but the interesting thing is one player is the chisel who it's he he is bound and determined to lie and misdirect all the detectives uh so that they run out of time and don't solve the crime in which case the chisel wins because the murderer or whatever the thief whatever got away and the thing is, the chisel can't lie all the time. If you just lie all the time, then no one will ever believe you. And they'll call you, and if they call you when you're lying, they get leverage over you. Um, whereas if you tell the truth and they call you, you get leverage over them, which has big you know, game-changing um, effects and all that. It is super sharp. And uh, I'm really looking forward to trying it uh, pure co-op as well, because Jen, I did play it competitively, where I was the chisel, she was the, uh, the detective. And in fact, actually, we played a four-player game of it because we had some uh, three folks visiting us, and that was amazing too. This game, um, but you can play it cooperatively. You can even play it solo because it comes with a storybook that represents the chisel that sometimes will lie to you and sometimes won't. You just have to figure it out. But it's much more fun to try and figure out when a human being is lying to you by looking them in the eye. And that's where Detective City of Angels really comes alive. So sharp, so good. <clears throat> Alrighty, number one, or no, not number 129, 129 thumbs for Century Golem Edition, the Eastern Mountains, which is the Golem re uh, skin of Century Eastern Wonders. 
Uh, great. If you're like me, you're really disappointed because you would have rather had the Gollum edition, but you went down the Spice Road edition instead, and now you're wondering, should I get rid of my Spice Road stuff? But my box is dinged and dented. I don't really know. But, um... Hey, for people who waited, good on you. You you gambled correctly. Um, and at the same time, right next to it, uh, surprisingly, with 133 thumbs, is Century A New World, which is the culmination, the third in the trilogy from the Spice Road. But now, why is anybody going to want to buy that when they know next year you'll be able to get the Century Golem edition of it instead? Better to wait, right? Unless you already have the Spice Road stuff. I don't know. I'm kind of... Blah. The whole thing is really kind of a turnoff, in all honesty. But, you know, say la vie, they, they made their choice. And I'm sure a, a lot of people are very, very happy about it. Uh, but anyway, that's um, Century, and uh, which was the, the light gateway Euro-style game where you can mix Spice Road and Eastern Wonders and now a new world to create a bigger, more complex, elaborate Euro. Love the idea, but not 100% pleased about the implementation. All righty. Moving on to 140 Thumbs, Everdell, which I covered when it was on Kickstarter for its expansion. This is a super charming gateway... No, nah, not gateway. Gateway Plus um, worker placement game that, for my money, was the best production, best art of last year. Uh, the art is so good, it's what prompted me to put the artist... Uh, is it Chris Williams? I believe, on my top 10 artists of all time. This game is so beautiful. Its production is so wonderful. And the combo chainy um, worker placement card drafting is the bee's knees. This game is super duper sharp. Uh, let's see. It's officially a 2018 game. Oh, man. I just realized. Does it make my top 10 retroactively of 2018? No, it does not, because it is not as good as my current top 10, which is Teotihuacan. Teotihuacan is still better. But yeah, Everdell. Everdell is so good, it makes me second-guess my top 10 of last year. It's that good. And it's gorgeous. And it's lovely. Uh, and speaking of gorgeous, lovely, just that good, how about 146 thumbs for Ray's Arcana, which uh, is arguably, by me, the greatest uh, uh, card engine-building game of all time, from Tom Lehman, Mr. Race for the Galaxy, and as important and as influential as Race for the Galaxy is, and to a lesser extent, Roll for the Galaxy, and several other games he's done, I do think Ray's Arcana is his masterpiece. It is an amazing game, one of the best engine-building games of all time, and unfortunately features a not insignificant amount of Take That, or at least the threat of Take That, which has ultimately turned me and Jen off it. But if you don't mind, just a little bit, just a hint, just a scooch, of, uh, hey, I drink your milkshake, and you like engine building, you owe it to yourself to check it out, because it is phenomenal. But it was just a little bit too rough going for me and Jen. Raise Arcana. Then, number 156. Not number 156. 156, as you can see, we're, we're making big jumps. 146, 156, etc., etc. Because we're almost to the end, folks. And I am shocked just how high Lantern's Dice made it onto the radar of Board Game Geek aficionados. But it did. It's a, a it's a it's a roll and write. It's a sequel to Lanterns, which was a uh, tile laying game, which was very nice. But it, I didn't think Lanterns really sung at two players, so we didn't keep it. It clearly wants at least three to to be at its best, or ideally four. I imagine that won't be the case for Lanterns Dice at all. I imagine I have not paid any attention to it. I don't really know what it is. 
Um, but I like rolling rights, and I'm sure it'll be pretty. So yeah, deserved. Not 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 deserved. I mean, because what are we at? We're at one, two, three, four, five. So that's like number six, the sixth most anticipated game based on my metrics of from Board Game Geek. Yeah, I don't think it deserves to be that high, but still, I'm sure it's going to be great. Lanterns dice. Um, number. Uh, 167 thumbs for Underwater Cities, which is called the second edition, but as I understand it, nothing has changed. They just have thicker cardboard player mats, but don't let that bother you folks. The cardboard player mats that came with the original are totally fine. You know, they're, they're cardstock, but cardstock is fine because it doesn't warp, unlike regular thick cardboard uh, boards, which will warp, or at least much more likely to warp uh, if you come from a humid place like I did with Malta. But anyway, Long story short, Underwater Seas, I think, was my number nine or my number eight best game of last year. It is on this list. It is an insanely good worker placement game um, from Vladimir Sushi, one of the best, in my top, well, he, who, who lives in my top ten best board game designers of all time. It deserves all the love in the world. Uh, my only complaint is it is a bit on the long side, um, but otherwise, just phenomenal. Underwater Cities. Then, jumping up to 170 thumbs. We've got Parks, which um, is uh, apparently gorgeous and uh, is, is a celebration of the National Parks of America with, uh, all, with uh, glorious illustrations of 59 parks. But, you know, whatevs. Uh, I'm mostly interested in this because I love time track games. You know, the Thebes or uh, Glenn Moore style game where you know the bigger a jump you make the more turns you give for your opponent that's a wonderful mechanism one of the best ones ever and so i'm always on the lookout for new ones and apparently i've been told this game does time track gameplay really really well and on top of that it's gorgeous so that's good enough for me parks um if i if i if i'd actually seen gameplay of it I might have been convinced to put it in my top 10 most anticipated of the show. So, I think me and BGG are simpatico on this. And we certainly are on the next one. Jumping from 170 thumbs to 209 thumbs, it is ERA, Medieval Age. Which is basically um, designer Matt Leacock's sequel to... Uh, Roll Through the Ages. Uh, because it's the same basic, it's... it's um, uh, you know that one was a roll and write using a pegboard to keep track of stuff. Now it's a roll and build because instead of writing down all the stuff you're rolling for as you're building up your kingdom and all that, you actually physically build it because the game comes with tons and tons of cool little miniature buildings that represent castles and keeps and towers and stuff like that. But you um, so a roll through the ages. Um, one of the first modern roll and writes, still one of the best. Uh, from one of the best board game designers of all time. And hey, he's doing a new one. Era. Um, but the only thing that looks like a downer for this is, from what I've seen of the pictures and from what I've heard of people who've actually played it, because apparently this is widely available right now. You don't have to go to Gen Con to get this. Um, which is one of the reasons I didn't put it in my top 10, because just go, go down to your local game store and buy it right now. No reason to travel halfway across the country to get it. But uh, from people who played it, apparently the player board everybody plays on is super-duper ugly, and it really drags down the overall impact of the on the gameplay just because of the aesthetics, and that's a shame. Because I'm sure the gameplay is going to be fantastic in era medieval age. And um, the number two, uh, with 230 thumbs, Empire, or Imperial Settlers... Empires of the North. Imperial Settlers is a great game. 
And I think it's very deserving of all its praise. And, you know, people have been after me for years to play it, even though I knew I didn't want to play it. Um, you know, Ignacy Trevchuk himself, the designer, told me, you don't want to play this. It has too much cutthroat in it, too much stealing, too much raising of uh, destroying of each other's buildings and stuff like that. Ultimately, I did play it, and it turned out he was right. We did not keep it. It was too rough, even though we thought the engine building was great in Imperial Settlers. Supposedly, I read somewhere that Empires of the North really kind of scaled back a lot on the old ultraviolence, on the old punching each other and smashing each other into the dirt and trying to destroy each other's stuff. That's very uh, exciting. I'm enthusiastic to find out more um, about Empires of the North. So, hey, and as is everybody else, because it's at 230 thumbs, but now jumping from 230 to 267... This makes no sense to me. The number one most anticipated outside of my own top 10 based on my personal metrics for what makes a great game of, of uh, Board Game Geek is, can you guess it, folks? It's Bargain Quest. What? What? I've, this is a little um, you know, unassuming fantasy run-your-own-shop-and-sell-to-adventures uh, auction game that came out in 2017. Nobody ever paid attention to it. It's been long forgotten. And now it's been picked up by Renegade, and suddenly it's the talk of the town. Why is that? One reason. Shut Up and Sit Down recently, um, at least this is my assumption, recently gave it a big glowing review, and suddenly everybody's got to have it. Um, I'm very excited and happy for Jonathan Ying, designer of Bargain Quest. Uh, this is one of those games that, you know, normally they put it out, it's moderately successful, and then it's just completely forgotten. Although, wait a minute. Oh, Jonathan Ying, he's a designer of fa for Fantasy Flight. He's a full-time designer. Wow. Okay. I didn't know the history of this at all. But anyway, Bargain Quest now is, is the talk of the town, apparently, crazily. Again, I'm assuming because of Shut Up and Sit Down. And it'll be there along with one, two, three, four, five, five or six, six, it looks like, expansions. Which is crazy for a little game that came out and was largely overlooked in 2017, I believe. But anyway, that's it, folks. I don't know much about it. Uh, it would have rated, for me, it would have rated fairly low because I don't know much about it. But hey, it's from Renegade and uh, Shut Up and Sit Down. So, so I, but yeah, 267 thumbs for Bargain Quest and. Puh, phew. What are we at now? My throat feels tired. We're at a hundred and... Or an hour and 43, give or take. Right. I don't think I'm going to do demos. I thought maybe I'd have the strength to do it. But i got to take a break now. And when we come back, we'll talk about expansions. And then maybe demos. Although, all you got to do is look at the show notes, folks. You already know if the demos are coming or not. If not, I apologize to all the demos out there. But I'm tired, and I'm hot, and it's summertime, and the dogs are barking. And, right, we'll be right back, right after this. Okie doke, folks. I am back. I've downed... Must have been a half a gallon of water trying to soothe my parched throat. And now we're going to spend a few minutes, not very long really, going through 29 expansions. Although it's significantly less than that because a lot of games got a lot of expansions this year. So uh, because of that, I have sorted them just alphabetically rather than trying to do that thumb countdown uh, just so I can group them all. And so let's get going. First of all, hey, it's the thing I just talked about. Morgan Quest has one. Let's see, what is it? The 8-Bit Theater... Acquisitions Incorporated, uh, Chaotic Goods, Solo Mode, uh, Table Titans, and the Black Market Expansion. So, like I said, Bargain Quest is on fire! 
I it must be some story. It can't just be shut up and sit down, could it? I don't know. Whatever. Uh, still, good on them. A whole bunch of bargain quest stuff. Um, and then moving right along, we've got some Clank stuff. Clank Expeditions, Temple of the Ape Lords, and Clank Legacy Acquisitions Incorporated Upper Management Pack. No, it's not for Clank Legacy. It is. It's it's a standalone thing you can use in Clank or the upcoming Clank Legacy that gives you special player powers or something like that. That's a must-have, as is Clank. And, I mean, I, I don't know about Bargain Quest. Bargain Quest is kind of a, meh, you know, whatever. I don't know. I'd have to check it out. And then maybe if I get it, I'd get the expansions. Clank stuff, yes, of course. Yes. Uh, Copenhagen it has multicolored tiles. There's a little thing. Very nice. Well worth grabbing. Uh, Detective City of Angels. I just talked about how amazing that is. And their Bullets Over Hollywood expansion will be available. Which, uh, what, how many more cases? I think it's four more cases. Yeah, four more cases. 200 additional cards. All full of its Detroit art. Oh, baby. Uh, Everdell Pearlbrook. Which uh, is obviously, I, I spoke very highly of Everdell, and I played this Pearl Book expansion, and it really does add quite a bit. Uh, you can check out my video to find out what. Then we've got, I'm surprised, two K2 expansions. One, Broad Peak, which came out in 2011, and then the other one, uh, uh, Lotzi, which came out in 2018. I've covered both of these. And Actually, that's kind of bearing the lead. If both of these are going to be there, that means K2 is going to be there. K2, which has been out of print forever. Why wasn't that listed? I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. Long story short, K2 is fantastic, and more K2 is always a good thing. But the more thing is, apparently K2 is going to be there, I would assume. Luxor the Mummy's Curse. Jen and I really like Luxor. We have this. I actually backed it on Kickstarter to get this expansion because we liked Luxor so much, but we haven't had a chance to play it yet. Let's see. Then, was it? Oh, did I mention a lot of expansions for Museum? How about The Archaeologists, The Black Market, The People's Choice, The World's Fair? So is that four? Man, I thought there were more. Is that right? Uh, what about Cthulhu Relics? Yeah. Oh, I wonder if that was a Kickstarter-only thing. I don't know. But anyway, uh, Museum. I already talked about how great it is. Its expansions, which I have not seen yet, I expect are also great. Sagrada, The Great Facades, Passion. Actually, I played this solo this month, and I'll be mentioning it in the roundup I film in a few days. This is awesome. When Sagrada came out just spitting distance um, from Role Player, and I filmed both in the same year, and I also decided, wow, these are both amazing, puzzly, dice-drafting uh, games. Which one should I keep? Ultimately, we figured Role Player because it was the heavier game and we didn't need a gateway game. Um, Sagrada Passion bumps Sagrada up a notch. Uh, it turns Sagrada from a gateway game into a definite gateway plus. I haven't got a chance to play it with Jen yet, but I was very impressed by it. Although I was not impressed by the solo rules, which are terrible. Or which No, that's not true. They're invisible. They literally forgot them. There's nothing about the solo rules. So I just kind of played it and kind of made up my own, which was really awful. Uh, I hope they get those ready because, hey, you're going out there and you're, you're setting it with no solo rules, but you say it's... Uh, whatever. Uh, but long story short, Sagrada was always great. Now it's really great. Now it's, uh, you know, stands toe-to-toe -to -toe with role player, which is saying something. And hey, how about some Valeria love? Uh, uh, the big box Kickstarter of Villages of Valeria and uh, the Landmarks and Architects, which I feel like I've talked about these of course I have, because almost nothing new is new. These have all happened at previous conventions, but whatever. Uh, Valeria is great. Um, so, yay. And I think, was it Villages that ended up having my card in it? You know, a picture of me? I don't remember. It was either Villages or Quest. But regardless, yay, more Valeria. 
Vindication, Leaders and Alliances. Now, Jen and I were super duper impressed by Vindication. And uh, stuff changed. Um, I've talked about it in previous podcasts, but we ultimately ended up getting rid of it. But I just mentioned this because it is still a really good game, and I imagine a lot of people would really love it. And uh, yeah, it's kind of dumb, the reasons I got rid of it. So I'm, I'm listing it. Uh, more content for Vindication, which is a, a great game. Okay, and now here's another big swath of what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven expansions for one game. Can you guess the game? It's welcome to. Um, the super popular flippin' right instead of rollin' right is getting Doomsday Thematic Neighborhoods, Halloween Thematic Neighborhood, Outbreak Thematic Neighborhood, uh, uh, Solo Mode, Spring na- Neighborhood, and Summer Neighborhood, Winter Wonderland Neighborhood. And so, here's the thing. These are all basically just new sheets of paper, I guess, that like change the rules up. Really kind of feels like these should all be packaged into one just big expansion instead of charging $10 for each one where what you're getting is a new sheet of paper. Ah! Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! I do not talk about money. I actually, I just... Uh, I think it was it last month or maybe two months ago. I, a Q&A. I, I don't talk about it. Um, it's just normally when I'm talking about stuff, I don't actually see the MSRP right there on the screen. And I just ran through seven, seventy $70 to get this expansion for Welcome To. Don't get me wrong. Welcome To is fantastic. I do wonder, um, you know, if I were there, I mean, how many of these would I want to buy? I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't buy all of them, all seven of them for 70 bucks. Jeez, I'm not quite sure. Maybe, well, okay. Which ones would I get then? If I was only going to get two, just going based on the titles. Outbreak, because we love Pandemic, sure. Um, I'd be inclined to go Doomsday, but I'm sure Jen wouldn't. So probably, maybe, maybe Summertime. That sounds nice. Outbreak and Summertime. Those would be the two I recommend based on nothing other than their name. If you only want to send $20 for a reasonable expansion level uh, for that expansion. But anyway, whoa, actually, whoa, how did I miss that? Gotta talk, of course, about probably the hottest expansion of the entire show, which is naturally going to be T.O.T. Huacan. Oh, what was the full name of it? T.O.T. Huacan. The Late pre-classic period. And really, what more needs to be said? Uh, This was a very, very big popular game. And hey, there's going to be some new modules added to put even more life into it. And I think I also somehow inadvertently skipped the two Merlin expansions that are going to be at the show as well. And those are definitely worth seeking out because Merlin is phenomenal. At least Jen and I think so. And uh, right... That's it, folks. Like I said, not very many expansions. And because of that, you're in luck. Uh, I'm going to pause right now. I'm going to... What is it? Uh, Screw my courage to the sticking place, and I'll be right back to talk about demos. Things you should demo. I suspect there will be a lot. So hang on. We'll be right back. Oh, 38 more games. 38 games to demo. Why did I say I would do this? 
I'm a silly man. But I'll make it a little bit easier on myself by splitting this into two halves, because of those 38 games, 16 of them I have already filmed videos for. So I do not feel the need to talk about these at all anymore. Let me just list them really quick-like. And so that means I only have to talk about 26 more games that are... Uh, well, I mean, the very definition of something that needs to be demoed, after all, because I haven't played it already, or filmed it, rather, I should say. So, uh, g games that you could demo at the show that I have already done run-throughs or rundowns of are Chocolate Factory, Dominations, Edge of Darkness. Although, remember, I said right up front in the top ten, it's not a demo. You can buy Edge of Darkness if you pre-order now, but it's also available to demo. Um, Emperor's Choice. Although... Depending on who you are, you might not have seen my video for it. I have filmed a run-through for Emperor's Choice, but it's to coincide with the Kickstarter launch, which has been delayed. Um, so if you're a backer of the show at a high enough level, you've seen Emperor's Choice. Uh, if not, it's a very interesting auction game with, uh, with a very unusual set of mechanisms from Hisashi Hiyashi. Anyway. Uh, Endeavor, Age of Expansion, Fertility, High Rise, In the Hall of the Mountain King, The Isle of Cats, Margraves of Valeria, New Frontier. What? It's whatever. Uh, Post Human Saga, Rome, Sorcerer City, The Stygian Society, and Suburbia Collector's Edition, because of course it's a demo. All right, so those are all demoables. Those are all good to great games, I would say. And uh, now let's talk about games I don't know quite so well. And I've done the old sorting by thumb. So we're doing a countdown to give you an idea of just what people want to see the most. Uh, the most thumbed is 141. The least thumb, which we'll talk about right now, of only seven, is Planet Unknown. More like Game Unknown, because I have to admit, the description here does not really jump out at me in any particular way. Uh, it's a planet colonization game, I guess, uh, the main reason I put it down is because it says it's polyomino. So, that's good. I like polyomino games. I like puzzling Tetris pieces together. Interestingly, it's uh, the two designers on it. One of them was the designer of Sword Crafters, which uh, was actually a pretty cool little... Not exactly tile-laying, tile-building game, I guess. And uh, the other designer worked on Sword Crafters as well. And also, Truck Off, which you remember I mentioned a little bit earlier. Oh, no, the, the, both these guys worked on Truck Off. And Bruin USA and Sword Crafters. So, I don't know. Uh, you know, Sword Crafters was pretty good. I'm interested in Truck Off. So, yeah, I guess I'm interested in Planet Unknown as well. Uh, and then the Deadeye. Now, this is only for solo gamers, and I have to admit, normally I'm not a solo gamer, but it is from the same designer artist as Ancient Terrible Things. So that uh, gets my interest up a little bit more. Plus, as I recall, I don't think it says it anywhere here, but yeah, no, it does. Um, it's, a, it's a solo card post-apocalypse survival game, and it comes with 3D glasses because the cards have 3D art on them. That's cool. That's a fun little gimmick. I would just want to go check that out and, and try it out and see if you'd get a headache and all that before uh, knowing if you want to buy it or not. Alrighty, next up. Oh, and by the way, Deadeye has nine. Nine. I, mean, I can't believe this. They bury at the very, very end of the entire description. Oh yeah, by the way, uh, the game it's 3D art with 3D glasses. Like, lead with that. That's so cool. People who write these descriptions. Oy. 13 thumbs for Mandala. Uh, it is from Brett Gilbert, one of the co-designers of Elysium. So that gets my attention, of course. And as well... What was the other reason? 
Oh, it's from Lookout Games. They put out good games. And I don't really know much about it. It's an... I couldn't even tell you. It's an abstract game? I don't know. I'm almost inclined to take this off. I mean, we're really off in the woods now, folks. It's an abstract game from Brett Gilbert and Trevor Benjamin, who was the designer of War Chest, I believe. But eh, something back in my mind made me put it on here, but I just don't know. And I've spent too much time here already. Moving on to 16 Thumbs for Skytopia. Um, And the publisher can't even be bothered to say how many players it supports or its age or anything. Why did I mark this? Because I did spend time thinking about it and reading about it. Alrighty, every hundred years, guys. Or is it the? Uh, oh, oh, no. Is it the designer Ivan Lashin? I don't know. What have you done, Ivan? Oh, so yes, that's what it was. This is from the publisher designer of last year's super hit, Smartphone Inc. This is their follow-up to Smartphone Inc. That's interesting. The Smartphone Inc. came out of nowhere, surprised everybody, and now they are doing a game where they can't be bothered to describe anything about it. Uh, category um, blank. Mechanisms blank. Number of players blank. Playtime blank. Age blank. Blank, blank, blank. Come on. It doesn't take that long to fill this stuff out. But anyway, Smartphone Inc. was amazing. So, Skytopia, which by the way, looks like we're controlling the robots from Lapita Castle in the Sky. That's interesting. Anyway, moving right along. 16 thumbs for uh, Namiji from designer Antoine Bauza. I don't understand why this isn't higher. This is the sequel to Takedo. This is basically Takedo 2. Uh, same art, same setting, similar gameplay. Uh, hopefully better, because we weren't really that fond of Takedo. But, or wait, or Takenoko? Yeah, either of them, really. But uh, definitely would want to check this out. Uh, Namiji. Okay. 17 thumbs for Marquesas, which is from the Maltzes, the... Um, Father and son. Yes. Uh, great design team. And this one is about worker placement, seafaring Polynesians roaming the Pacific, colonizing an archipelago. Oh, use dice as workers. Dice worker placement. Great. From the Maltzes. That's enough for me. Uh, Cor- oh, the Marquesas Islands. Yeah, yeah. Marquesas Islands. I've, I've heard of that. The Marquesas. Yeah. Uh, Coral Island. I saw this as a demo at UK Games Expo last year. It looks really pretty. It is a coral reef building game where you stack beautiful dice up and spread out. So instead of tile laying, it's dice laying. And it's not two-dimensional, it's three-dimensional. It looks really pretty. So yeah, I would try that since I didn't get a chance to do it at UK Games Expo. Although it looks so pretty. uh, That was 23 thumbs. 28 thumbs for Jurassic Parts. Get it? Parts instead of parks. And here's why this is interesting. This is the next game from uh, 20th Century Games. And as I talked about earlier, I was so blown away by Space Explorers. And this is their next big thing. Uh, They had good taste with Space Explorers. Presumably, they're going to have good taste with what I just call it. Oh, Jurassic Parts. Here's the reason probably other people would be interested, though. Designer Kevin Lansing. You may not recognize the name. I did not. He's the designer of Flashpoint Fire Rescue, one of the most successful modern Euro game or you know co-op games. Uh, period. It cannot be stressed just how insanely popular and well loved, and how huge selling Flashpoint Fire Rescue is. He's finally done doing Flashpoint stuff, folks. He's doing something new. It's Jurassic Parks. He's teaming with 25th Century Games. It's an area control game where we're digging up bones, I guess. I don't really know. But hey, if it's Kevin Langsing, you got to pay attention. What is, again, 
Why don't you lead with that? Why does it not say right up here at the top, from the designer of Flashpoint Fire Rescue? Who wrote this description? Oh my god! All board game publishers need to hire me as their publicist, and I will write them good descriptions. And, oh my gosh. Anyway, though, uh, moving right along to 36 Thumbs. Silver and gold from Phil Walker Harding and Pandasaurus Game. It's a roll and write game. Okay, and Phil Walker Harding. Done. As you can see, folks, I, 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 it's, it's getting late here. I, I need to move on. Uh, gotta get ready for dinner. Uh, next up, 36 Thumbs for Harry Potter Death Eaters Rising. Yeah, I want to try this because I totally missed out on... What was it? Uh, Thanos Rising last year, which turned out to be, I guess, a, a, you know, a, 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 a maybe it was a flash in the pan because everybody was excited about the movie, you know, um, Infinity War. I chose not to play it because I didn't want to have any Infinity War spoilers. I didn't want to know the names of the bad guys or anything, so I just never played it. But apparently it's a good little challenging co-op. And so I'm very interested now that they have reskinned it into the Harry Potter universe, which is Jen's favorite um, IP of all time. So yeah, Harry Potter, Death Eaters Rising. Definitely demo that. Or don't even need to. That's that's a buy a side unseen. Uh, next up, 41 Thumbs for Copenhagen, Roll and Write. I mentioned earlier just how fantastic Copenhagen is. And so I expect the uh, same designers working on a Roll and Write. Yeah, that's probably going to be G-Rate. Then we've got a Marco Polo 2 with 42 thumbs. Why is this not the most thumb thing in the entire thing? Marco Polo from uh, Simone Luciani and Danielle Taschini, those two guys together giving us the sequel to... Come on! Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, not much to say here other than it's just being demoed. Uh, oh, they're, they're looking for playtesters. And uh, it's weird. You'll have to track them down because they don't actually have a booth. So I'm not sure how you're supposed to contact them. Oh, apparently they started a thread signing up people to come and playtest Marco. Marco Polo 2! Well, I, I guess it's pretty rough and early, so it's probably going to look ugly, but it's Marco Polo 2! Have I said that yet? Uh, moving right along. 42 thumbs, whatever. 55 thumbs for Spirit Island Jagged Earth. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, didn't this already successfully Kickstarter, though? Shouldn't they... Uh, whatever. Um, uh, Spirit Island's cool. 58 Thumbs for Floor Plan. Uh, another roll and write. Oh, I love roll and writes. I am not sick of them yet. And the thing I really like about this one is... Uh, what was it? The Jurassic or you know, Dino World? And another one I didn't talk about that is going to be at the show, Cartographers, because Cartographers had too much take that in it, unfortunately. Otherwise, it was a near-perfect roll and write. That, those are a couple of examples of roll and writes where you're not just filling in, um, you know, forms or ticking boxes on a sheet. Roll and writes where you're actually creating something is a very, very cool, exciting thing. And one where you're actually creating the floor plan of like your perfect dream home, to me, that is extra exciting, extra enticing, because that's something I've done plenty. You know, I've, I've I'm obviously I'm not an architect, but you know I, I've I've often enjoyed doing layouts and and how, and stuff like that. So I'm really curious to see how they turn that into a game. Floor plan, then foothills, which was released at UK Games. All right, whatever. Uh, it's demoable. It's not for sale here. I don't know why. That's a real bummer. It is the uh, basically. Uh, it's you might as well call it Snowdonia the Duel uh, because it is a dual version of one of the greatest worker placement games of all time, Snowdonia. Tony Boydell teaming up with uh, Ben Bateson, um, <clears throat> who is a first-time designer, so I'm assuming this is mostly 
uh, Ben, who came to Tony with the idea. And Tony says, that's great. Let's uh, not put the Snowdonia name on it, even though it's effectively... Um, I don't know. I, I don't know much about it, I, I, but Snowdonia is so great. Tony Boydell is so great. Lookout Games is generally so great. So Foothills, definitely. Oh, I've, I've forgot about doing thumbs. That was 59 thumbs. 61 thumbs for Crystal Palace. How does Crystal Palace have more thumbs than Foothills? Oh, this is... A, 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 it's a dice worker placement game. It's from uh, Feuerland. I mentioned earlier with Mag, uh, Magnastorm. Feuerland, they do not mess around. They make great games 100% of the time. So, you know this is going to be great too. It's probably going to be their uh, Essen game, but you could play it early. A dice Hospital Community Care, an expansion for Dice Hospital. That's nice. Um, don't know why that's higher, but whatevs. Uh, congratulations for them. A 71 thumbs for Masters of the Renaissance. Lorenzo Il Magnifico, the card game. Why is this not the highest game on this list with, in terms of thumbs? Because uh, uh, Simone Luciani and Nestor uh, Magnone, Magnone uh, Lorenzo Magnifico is fantastic. Uh, a card game version of it? Maybe it'll fix my one problem with the, with the original game. That's a must play. That's a must buy. Again, you don't need to demo that. You're just going to buy. Oh, I'm going to hopefully I'm not going to buy it. Hopefully I'm going to get a free review copy so I can do a run-through for you, folks. Um, but yeah, I mean, if if I were a normal person, I, that would be a sight unseen buy, buy, buy. Uh, next up, a 75 Thumbs, Adventure Games, The Dungeon. And there's actually, I think, a couple of This is another series. And it's, I guess, another adventure-y, puzzle-y, escape room-y type thing. But instead of the brands working for Cosmos, bringing us Exit, the game, it's um, Matthew Dunstan and Phil Walker-Harding working for Cosmos, bringing us a series of adventure, puzzle escape games called Adventure Games. Uh, the Taverns of Teethenthal uh, from this is Wolfgang Warsh after having such a big, huge, explosively successful game last year with The Mind and Quacks of Quenlinburg and the third game that I cannot remember now, but it was a big deal too. I'm not going to remember, but that's okay. Uh, this is his follow-up, Quacks, uh, Tavern of Tiefenthal, which I actually did play uh, the German import at Board Game Geek Con and had a great time with it. And uh, yeah, although I'm looking forward to playing it with Jen because the jury's still out. Uh, but anyway, after... Oh, this is a big deal. This would be probably in my top five. This would be... Yeah, I will seek this out because I would definitely want to know what this plays like because it is the latest game from Jerry Hawthorne, Aftermath. And Jerry Hawthorne, well, I, I talked about this in previous podcasts. Couldn't think of the word. I'm clearly losing it. Uh, but Jerry Hawthorne, uh, Mr. Mice and Mystics, uh, and Comanauts, and the one that came in between the two, Mice and Mystics and Comanauts, and the, oh man, well, whatever. Uh, he makes amazing fantasy worlds. They're so good. They're making a feature film out of them. And this is another new original fantasy world where humanity has just spontaneously disappeared one day and nature is taken back over and anthropomorphized little animals have adventures. I want to play that. And I just want this finally to be a game that uh, the gameplay delivers for heavy... Or not heavy, but just... I mean, the, the gameplay in all of his games... Oh, it's the sleeping one. The teddy bear one. They, they always tend to be too light. They're well considered, but too light. Way too reliant on dice. Here's why I'm excited about Aftermath. Category, adventure, animals, mechanisms, cooperative play. I don't hear anything about dice in that description. If Jerry has finally walked away from dice, which I kind of think he uses as a crutch a little bit. I mean, don't get me wrong. He does interesting stuff with dice. But 
they just end up being too light and and frivolous. Uh, if he can deliver a design that lives up to the promise, this, this could be a game of the year candidate. I mean, I guess this could be a Black Angel killer, but we'll see. But anyway, yeah, I would definitely, I would not leave without learning more about this game, seeing it firsthand, Aftermath at 81. Then, 100 th- thumbs for God of War, the card game. I can't believe that's not actually for sale there. And sure, yeah, it totally makes sense. Uh, is it a cooperative game? I think it is. That's nice. I haven't played the new God of War. I've only played the original ones on the PS2. Was there one on PS3? Did I play? I don't remember. But yeah, I like God of War. And I like cooperative play, so sure. Why not? Ecos with 103 thumbs is a big, big deal because it is the next game from John D. Clare. And you may have heard earlier, I love me some Edge of Darkness. And I've certainly talked at great length about how I loves me some Mystic Veil. So John D. And, and everybody loves Space Base, except for me, it seems. Um, so his next game, a tile laying, build the perfect world and um, populate it with animals. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm down for Ecos. Let's, let's demo that. And the game that should have by far the most thumbs, but it does not, it's number three on this list, at 109 thumbs, Sleeping Gods. The next big box from Ryan Lockett. This, uh, I haven't played it yet. I've been waiting for Jen to get back. I've got a prototype because it's going to be on Kickstarter at this time. Um, This is a great opportunity to play it before you decide to back it, but who are you kidding? You're going to back it. It's going to be amazing. What I saw of it in its early rough stage, I keep saying I saw it at um, Board Game Geek Con Spring, but that's not true. I saw it at Dice Tower Con in Vegas, and it was fantastic. The combat system, oh my gosh, I cannot wait to play it some more. I cannot wait to share it with Jen. she got to get back so I can play it, because I've got it right in the other room. Sleeping Gods. Must demo. Um, 136 thumbs for Genotype. The Mendelian Genetics game. And uh, this just puts... It, it wouldn't be my number one, but I'm so happy it's so high. It's from John Cavio, or Cavio and Paul Salomon. I'm not sure. I don't know Paul. But Genius Games. And John Cavio, who is a real-life science teacher at high school level, I think, has made it his mission in life to make good, fun, solid games that educate and introduce, but make fun... Making fun edutainment uh, about science subjects. And um, I don't even know what Mendelian genetics is. But I bet I'm going to learn about it from this game, and I'm very excited to find out more. And I, it's great that it's got so many thumbs. But it didn't beat the, the number one, again, based on my own metrics, with 141 thumbs. Baron Park, the Bad News Bears. Sure, Baron Park is great. Phil Walker-Harding is fantastic. But this has more thumbs than the Sleeping Gods? What? Still, um, I'm sure it'll be cool. It must, be, I, it, it must just be the, the, the punny joke. The, I, mean, you know, the, I, I guess that just... Uh, uh, puts in a very clear definition of the median age of a board game geek. Um, if Bad News Bears, the Bad News Bears is the one that makes the uh, top of the list. Phew, that was quick. That was relatively painless. That was everything I would consider seeking out to demo that's on the list as of today. And that's it, folks. We are done at 2 hours and 11 minutes. Okay. Um, yeah. And uh, we'll see you next time. Like I said right up front, more questions to questions at raw.com. It'll be back to normal, which means uh, Jen will hopefully do half the work if you guys give us some content. Ask me. 
Ask me anything. And otherwise, I just heard Daisy barking, so I'm going to go check that out. Thanks for listening, as always, folks. Hope you have a great Gen Con. Maybe we'll see you next year. Couldn't make it this year because of the timing with Jen traveling to the UK and getting back on the same day that the show started. Maybe next year. Or maybe we'll see you uh, this November at Board Game Geek Convention in Dallas for the first time ever in a new venue. Come and see us there. Okay. Bye. Uh, I, uh, talk to you later. So long. <laughs>